For more Red FM podcasts, go to redfm.ie forward slash podcasts. Echo talk of it as well because of uh, high tides as well today. Things will be compounded by that. And the mirror leads actually with the hottest eight years ever, or at least since they uh, got um, uh, records started. The past eight years will be the hottest on record, sparking the melting of the ice caps and deadly floods and heat waves. And of course, we've got uh, the COP27 going on in Egypt uh, across the week. And Michal Martin, uh, who's also going to be there, uh, talks of the special responsibility of each and every single country. I mean, it's, it's, it's an incredible story when you hear of the earth is burning uh, on the one hand, of course, and that in itself then is leading to the melting of the polar caps, you know, top and bottom polar caps. And with over 70% of the planet already being covered by water, if all of the ice melts, what happens? Uh, sea levels rise. And where will the sea levels go? Covering land. Uh, and that, of course, is pretty simple science when you look at it like that. But the last decade, the hottest ever and it's only getting worse. And that's the story from the start today. You can hear a lot of more stories like that across the week from COP27 of that, you can be sure. Meanwhile, uh, as people try to struggle with uh, climate issues, of course, particularly in coastal areas, others are struggling just to try and find a home. The Independent this morning says four and a half thousand council houses lie empty around Ireland. I pause because you need to pause just to take that in. Four and a half thousand council houses lie empty around Ireland in the middle of a housing crisis. Um, And that is a disgracefully high figure. It's made even worse then when you read the front of this morning's examiner when when they worked out and got the figures as to if somebody leaves a council house or moves on or is you know, relocated or just goes and buy, does well for themselves or whatever, and manages to buy their own house, whatever the case may be, it's taking councils longer and longer as the years go by to find a tenant for vacal, vacant social housing. Um, you have to drill into the story to look at that. And what it actually is saying is that the average time from a tenant leaving a council home to finding a replacement paying their first rent is 34 weeks. But how much of that is actually trying to find a replacement tenis, tenant, which, which sounds kind of strange to me, and how much of the 34 weeks on average, and sometimes an awful lot longer, is it because they have to go in, do the house up, refurb the house, bring it up to standard, and for a lot of that period, of course, the damn thing is just boarded up. So I'd love to get your thoughts on that. Text 0868104106. While at the same time, the tourist town around Ireland just can't cope anymore. It's a front page of making the mail. The tourist towns of Ireland are demanding a better plan for refugees. Uh, because another influx and refugees from Ukraine continue to come in. If it hasn't been disastrous already, it's going to get a heck of a lot worse. Because if you look at hotels in rural Ireland... Not all of them, but I can tell you, a fair chunk of them are already flipped to um, accommodating Ukrainian refugees because there's a chronic shortage of housing, they say. Uh, But the risk to tourism, um, you know, down the track as we head across the back end of the year and into the spring and and next summer, who knows, it possibly could just go from bad to worse. So they're saying stop filling hotels and find another solution. Um, (laughs) I'm back to four and a half thousand council houses lying empty. I can't get my head around that one. And another Cork story, of course, we dealt with this on the air and will again, is the protest over the weekend. Students and parents don't know what the role of the teachers are with regards to the St. Vincent's protest, but I know that the students now are very much having their voices heard. This is my second home, said one of the secondary school students at St. Vincent's. I'll do anything to fight for it. So you had parents and students staging a protest on Saturday. They marched 
march from St. Vincent's Secondary School on St. Mary's Road to the Grand Parade. And they were joined uh, by many others then uh, when they got there and many people had an opportunity to listen to them. They just want to stay in their school and that's why many of the banners said simply save our school. They don't want to amalgamate with the North Press. They just want to be left alone. Then other people who want to be left alone are people who have jobs. But um, Mail this morning has said that Ireland needs to brace itself for a 10 billion euro drop in tech tax receipts. And you know of the Twitter workers uh, who lost their jobs at the back end of last week. The threat hanging over many of them is that half of the te- the Twitter, Twitter um, workforce across the world will have to go. And seven and a half thousand are facing uh, redundancy. Um, now staff who have been laid off are asking all other workers to walk out and engage and stage a mass walkout of Twitter. And while that's happening, without wanting to start the Monday with nothing but doom and gloom, my apologies for that, Meta Platform, that's the company, the parent company of Facebook, they are starting uh, to, um, well, they're putting together the final stages of mass large-scale layoffs this week as well. So Twitter last week, Facebook this week. Now, there are 87,000 employees working for Meta or Facebook, if you like, and they find they have to find a big... We don't have a, I don't have a number as to what percentage, but they're planning large-scale layoffs this week. Um, and um, we've also heard of other tech companies that were doing the same over the past couple of weeks. Uh, employees within Facebook have been told to cancel all non-essential travel this week. And I suppose maybe just like Twitter did it, you'll get an email telling you whether you have a job or not. Um, There are a lot of medical stories making the papers today. One is of interest because with the energy issues going on now, um, nursing homes uh, are allowed to claim €31,500 from the state uh, to pay at least some of their ever-increasing energy bills in nursing homes across Ireland. It's a handy chunk of money. They put 10 million aside for it. Uh, Do bear in mind, and I have the numbers somewhere, that many people who are getting their... Oh, here it is, yeah. Many people who are getting their energy credits think you're getting 200 euro three times a year. You're not. It's not anywhere near it. The actual figure that you'll receive is not um, 600 euro. It'll be 550 euro and 47 cent. Because the 200 that you're promised includes VAT. Um, and you don't get that. So you will find that when it hits your bank account, like I got an email from Energia saying you're going to get three installments of €183 Euro each, plus the VAT. Uh, but, um, you know, so the papers this morning uh, drill into that as well when it comes to energy costs right across the country. And then another medical story that's of interest is the NHS are now saying, and they're actually telling doctors, uh, that children who believe that they are trans are probably just going through a short-lived phase. And they're issuing draft guidelines to doctors uh, on treating children and young people with gender dysphoria, as in, don't be too quick to drive on with regards to, um, you know, transitioning or social transitioning. Now, social transitioning is where a person just lives as a gender different to their biological sex, but doesn't take any drugs to transition, like the puberty blockers or, or hormones, but they just live uh, in, in a different gender and it could see a person change their name or use pronouns, different pronouns dress in the clothes associated with the sex that they want to live in they could use bathrooms of the preferred identity rather than their biological sex bathroom but the NHS is saying that doctors need to be wary that many times uh, children 
are just going through a short-lived phase. I'd love to get your thoughts on that because we did talk of trans stories last week with regards to Father Sean Sheehy and what did you say in, um, in, in Mass. But, you know, I talk about the price of things and the cost of things. There's a, an alarming story in the sun with regards to what we pay here in Ireland. We were talking last week about people living in the Canaries, whether it was Tenerife or Gran Canaria, Lanzarote and the things they pay for and, you know, particularly people who retire there. But this morning the sun says that IKEA Ireland, as in Irish IKEA shoppers, are paying nearly 70% more for many popular products than consumers at IKEA shops in Germany. Now, surely be to God, that can't all be down to transport costs. And if it was anyway, where are they coming from? Is it, would IKEA, all of their furniture and stuff, I've never been in an IKEA shop, so I, I can't say with any amount of certainty, but would they all be coming from Scandinavia? I think Sweden, isn't it? Uh, they're blaming uh, higher market costs here, whatever that means. 70% higher for a table and chairs here than you pay for the same IKEA table and chairs. I don't know, man. But they did look, and I didn't mention this actually, I just kind of passed over it last week, but they did some surveys in the Irish Independent with regards to, and, and I love these kind of surveys because they have been tracking supermarket prices for the same basket of shopping, right, since last February in uh, different Irish supermarkets. And they found that since February, a basket of the same shopping in SuperValue is up 19%. The basket of the same shopping in Aldi is up 17%. The basket of the same shopping in Dunn's is up 16%. Tesco, 9%. And Lidl, 7%. So on that basis alone, you can probably work out where you should be shopping. But they looked at bread and milk and butter and pasta and chicken, uh, soft drinks, crisps, cereals, eggs, tea bags, cheese, ham, yogurt, spuds, you know, toilet roll, apples, staples, if you like. And they found them all increased, but some faster and higher than others. Papers also this morning talk of many things to do with um, free speech and I'll come back to that this morning but a lot talk of uh, people's um, you know behaviour when they want to interact with businesses that they deal with particularly banks and of course we had the AIB having to reverse there some months ago on closing down 70 rural banks. They want to automate everything but the Mail has a survey this morning saying that Irish people still want to conduct their main banking transactions with a human being, not a terminal and not a computer. In the past five years, over six in ten people opted for in-person support from staff when, say, opening a current account or applying for a car loan. That will change with generations that are growing up and moving into the workforce and having their own money. That's why Revolut, you never talk to anybody in Revolut, will soon be issuing mortgages uh, on the app. But for now, there's still a fair amount of people, a fair chunk of punters who want face-to-face service. Papers also this morning talk about pets, and God knows we talked about them last week, particularly with all of the lightning. Um, Nearly half of all pet owners reckon that their cat or dog is head of the household. Isn't that so true? It really and truly is. Everybody's world evolves certainly around the dog, the needs of the dog. But those that pamper dogs, right? And this would be taking them to the groomers. Um, Interestingly, there are more and more people now having their dogs groomed on the black market, as in going to groomers that ain't got VAT, possibly haven't set up a company, and returning nothing at all to the exchequer. Uh, and that's crippling the groomers who are doing it legitimately. Love to talk to groomers who are doing it legitimately, because there's never amount of them, apparently, 
Um, and there are, you know, where people bring in their mutts, if you like. And I don't know, do, you, do, do other pets get groomed? There wouldn't be a cat groomer, would there? A hamster groomer or a budgie groomer? Apparently it's dogs primarily. Uh, but I'd love to chat with people who are involved in the grooming business, particularly because we've heard of this with regards to barbering and hairdressing, those that are doing it themselves on the black market. And in a world that's just getting <laughs> fatter, <laughs> going to get in trouble for using the word, but it is used this morning in the sun, Fat mannequins. I I don't know in supermarkets or in fashion shops, say for instance, the likes of Pennies or BT and you know other you know people who sell clothing, whether they're dummies, they're mannequins, the dolls they put the clothes on, whether they're getting bigger. Are they? Anybody know? Are they getting bigger and chunkier? Well, certainly the crash test dummies are, and it probably makes sense because they will want to know how a car will react depending on the driver's body size. And not everybody, of course, is stick thin, insect thin. Uh, but crash test dummies are getting heavier to reflect rising uh, obesity. So the mock collisions, which calibrate cars and seat belts and check airbags, they're using fatter dummies now. I suppose you could say, I suppose you could say that the dummy needs to go on a <laughs> needs to go on a, a crash diet. Uh, but certainly, exercise can prevent anxiety and depression. But we are eating ourselves into an early grave, and unfortunately, the star tells us that all the ultra processed products that way too many people are eating, and these ultra ultra processed products, which are full of salt trans fats and sugar make up for 60% now of an average person's intake in a traditional Western diet. And it's killing us. Certainly it's making us bigger, obese, fatter, whatever word you're into. It's making us sicker. We're getting more illnesses. Uh, And they look at the different foods in the papers this morning. Uh, And you are looking at burgers and sausage rolls and pizzas and breakfast rolls and you know, ready-made meals, biscuits and cakes and white bread and tinned everything and ice creams and cakes and donuts and fizzy drinks. I suppose moderation really is the way forward, isn't it? And happy news, the Holly Bow is out. The 125th anniversary of the Holly Bow has hit the streets of the weekend. I picked up a copy on Friday and I'm very disappointed with myself because I read the whole thing yesterday, cover to cover last night, enjoyed every single page of it. I, I actually would go out on a limb and say, I think it's probably the best Holly Bow I've read in years. It's that good. But I'm disappointed now because I read it cover to cover and I ain't got no more to read in it. The Neil Prendeville Show on Courts Red FM. Two-time gold winner at the Emerald Radio Awards 2022. Okay, text 0868104106. Pick up the phone on 0818104106. And starting this morning, more on this just after the break, a massive... 10,000 euro giveaway, courtesy of ourselves and Soundstore, celebrating the opening of their new electrical superstore at Mahan Green Retail Park in Middleton. 10 grand. You will walk through the door of Soundstore Middleton with 10,000 euro. And you can spend it on whatever you want. Back on that and lots more besides after the break. Talk to Neil Prenderville now. 0818-104-106. Cork's Red FM. Okay, 10,000 euro to spend in Soundstore in Middleton. You can spend it on whatever you wish. And I was down there in the middle of last week just doing a little walk around the big, massive new store they have down there. And it is chock full of things that you will just want to buy. From built-in kitchens with appliances from Bosch and Neff and Hotpoint an incredible range of televisions from the small to the ridiculously huge. 
laptops, tablets, Apple, Samsung products. You got all sorts of great gadgets and all sorts of things for the home. And I'll drill into this a little bit more as we head across the week. But you know what's back? Neil's five-star giveaway. And we had a lot of fun with this in the past. You need to identify our five stars. I'm not going to open the phone lines now, but I will across the morning and indeed across the week. So have a listen to this, right? These are my brand new Neil's five stars. They are stars, right? Um, but if you thought they were going to be easy, well, enough of me. Make up your own mind on this. I love corks. Right. FM. And before you ask, I don't know either. At some stage, I probably will need to know when the celebrity voices are starting to be guessed. But right now, I'm in the. I'm hearing it for the first time, so I'm as in the dark as you guys are. Have a listen. I love corks. Right. FM. When I open the phone lines, you'll get an opportunity to guess on all five of them. Let's say that by some crazy stretch of the imagination, you get all five right in the correct order. You win €10,000 worth of electricals with Soundstore at Market Green Retail Park in Middleton. What I love about it down there is just tons and tons of parking. And even if you're not from that area, you know, driving down there is just a dream and will be even more so when Dunkettle is sorted. So those five different celebrities say a word each. You need to guess all five voices in the correct order to win. Everybody who guesses a new voice for the first time, right? Each time a correct voice is guessed for the very first time, there's a 100 euro voucher in it for that alone. But for all five, don't know how long it will take. Um, I'm Happy to let it run until somebody eventually wins and you'll help each other as well as you're going along. So there's a lot of camaraderie involved in this, but only one winner. 10,000 euro worth that can be spend, spent in Sound Store in Middleton. Have a listen. I love corks. Right. FM. I have a funny feeling you will be sick to death of it by the time it's won. Not. But you'll certainly know them. You'll be dreaming the voices. All right, so I'll give you an opportunity throughout the course of the morning. Hang in there for that. For all of the business, text 0868-104-106. Can I just go back uh, to the story that um, I was talking about this morning? It's making all of the newspapers. It's not climate change. It's housing change. It's dereliction. It's the amount of um, you know houses that are uh, owned by various corporations across the country where they have four and a half thousand of them lying empty in the middle of a housing crisis. And then you have the likes of Cork City Council. And I imagine Cork City Council is probably a lot longer than 34 weeks um, to, um, you know, put in a replacement tenant in a Cork City or County house. And on Friday, sorry, Thursday's paper, we were talking about derelict sites being an actual danger. And I went through a lot of them with regards to, you know, people who are going in there, uh, using it for parties, setting them on fire, uh, shooting up drugs there. Some people moving in there tampering with the electricity, trying to hook them up to outside power and stuff like that. So it just seems to be going from bad to work. I want to, bad to work. I want to get the thoughts uh, of a man who's got his finger on the pulse and has been for quite some time, uh, Frank O'Connor, who, along with Jude, Jude Sherry, have been campaigners with regards to housing, lack of it, empty houses and dereliction in Cork uh, for many years. And he joins me by phone. Frank, good morning. Good morning, Neil. Well, what do you make of those headlines and statistics and, and numbers? They just seem to go from bad to worse, right? Yeah, it is. It's very upsetting, really. It doesn't uh, have anyone without a home in this, in this day and age, Neil. And to see so many properties in Cork City alone lying empty, it's, it's, it's a scandal, really, you know? And, okay, uh, okay. I, you know, people, I mean, we need to do something about it. You know, the council are working too slowly in terms of turning around 
these empty properties. I mean, the council alone has something like almost 600 voids themselves in, in Cork City. Okay, so let's have a look um, at that. You say 600 voids. What does that mean? Well, that would be council-owned properties, homes that would be put. Sorry, I lost you there, Frank. You said there'd be council homes that would be what? Uh, boarded up. So basically, have they'd be boarded up, sort of like uh, metal hoardings on them. And you'll recognise them wherever you live in Cork. You'll see these homes with metal hoardings on them. And, you're, and they're, they're the ones that are Cork City Council owned. And, and the turnaround for those is something like over a year at least. So why the then are they saying 34 weeks? Maybe that's an average national figure, is it, that Cork City Council is significantly worse? Cork is, yeah, Cork City, City Council is significantly worse, sadly, yes. It's, it's much worse. The examiner and, um, says 48 weeks would be a better figure for Cork County Council. Yeah, possibly. I, I think the City Council was more than a year uh, at some stage this year. There was someone mentioned it was up over a year it was taking them, you know, which is ridiculous, Neil. Yeah, and why are they saying, no. why are they, what are they giving as a reason to over a year to turn around a council property? Yeah, I suppose it's funding, it's resources, skills. Um, they haven't really, you know, one of the things we noticed, uh, the funding, employ a vacant homes officer, but they didn't employ someone full-time up to recently. Now that might have changed in the last few months. But, but so they didn't have skill, uh, resources on the ground. They're, they're, they're um, I suppose they, they've, I suppose, subcontracted out a lot of these services over the last period. Uh, and they're saying that they can't do it any quicker. But okay, so it actually has sense. to do with refurbing the properties, is it? Yes, so these properties would have been previous tenants would have moved out and then they would go into the properties, they'd board them up initially with these metal hoardings and then they'd obviously go into a waiting list, I guess. And uh, eventually someone comes around. But obviously what happens then seemingly is that these properties, they, they go in, they take out... No, it's a shocking phone line. I'm really keen to hear what you're saying. So, when, so, the, so the, the tenant leaves for whatever reason, okay? Somebody then is contracted by the council to board. The first thing that happens is it's boarded up, is it? You've got the, are these metal shutters yeah. put on the doors and windows. That's it, that's okay. it. Uh, and and, it, and how long could it sit that way then? Well, there's a, there's a house very close to where we live in Shandon and it's been there for four years, Neil. Since we we moved back here four years ago, and that's been like in that state for four years now. This is not a dilapidated, derelict building. This no. is this was left yeah, this, by people who lived there. Exactly, and it's in a terrace where the other houses are being lived in at the moment. And this one, it's four years because we moved back here four years ago, and this was boarded up when we arrived. Four years. So, Nothing's yeah. happened apart from the hoarding Nothing. put up. That's it. Nothing happened. Okay. I mean, how did that make sense? You've got children walking to school past it every day, coming from maybe a, a shelter, maybe a hotel, temporary accommodation, and they're walking past these boarded-up homes on their way to school. It doesn't make any sense now. Okay, that one, four years, but typically it could be a year or more in Cork City. It could be almost a year in the county, and we're primarily interested in Cork City and county. Uh, a lot of people who contact me saying that they know of the homes that are vacant, and when people were living in them who moved out, they left them in a fabulous condition. But yet they are saying to me when they call and text that the council goes in or contractors go in, and they just summarily rip everything out anyway particularly the kitchen and things like that. Absolutely. And in a time where cost of living and where materials are so expensive, 
and it's so difficult to get the labour. It makes no sense, Neil, to rip out what's there at the moment. If that's functional, like who? Well, that's a crazy decision to do. We're just throwing stuff away when we can't afford to. And this would be and perfectly good equipment or tabletops or, you know, the white absolutely. goods and brown goods that people would be quite happy to just move in and use. Yes, I've spoken to some contractors who, who've actually been involved in doing that and they've been quite frustrated themselves because they haven't wanted to, to rip out the, uh, the kitchens or the units, but they've been told they have to. So, again, that slows down the process as well. So the contractors so, have gone back to City Council and said, we've gone in, we've had a look, it's actually fine, everything's working, it's good to go, and the council have said, no, rip it out. Yeah, yeah. well, the contractors I spoke were on the county council level, but yes, the same thing. They said, no, they had to rip it out. And how does that make sense, Neil? I mean, we need the houses now, not a year or two years down the line. And, uh, you know, the price of materials is everyone's on about, like I said, the cost of living. You know, it's more difficult to get certain materials now as well, things like wood. And so we should really be turning these around much, much quicker. So, I mean, we found, along with the council houses, Jude and I found 700 derelict properties within two kilometres of the city centre as well. These would be properties owned by individuals or others? Exactly, exactly. So there's 600 voids which were owned by the council and at least 700. When you say, see, when I hear the word derelict, I think they're falling down, you know? Well, to be honest, these would be a mix. So, so some of these would be, I suppose, would take a small bit of to use and some would be obviously like in a much worse condition. But yeah, there would be, we'll say, of the 700 we found, we'd say about 50% of those would be and maybe, you know, the others could be maybe uh, like unisex or the government building. Okay, okay. I'm going to clean the phone line up, Frank, if you don't mind, because you have very valuable contribution this morning. I want to be able to hear what you're saying. So that's 1,100, uh, at least, when you cume uh, the city council voids and the 700 then uh, private properties within two kilometres of the city centre. And that figure was from 2020, so it's probably a lot higher now at the back end of 20. 22. Victor Shine is the second fire officer at Cork City Fire Brigade. Victor, good morning. Good morning, Neil. Hi. Part of that article uh, from the Echo on Thursday spoke of the risk of derelict properties. What's that about? Yes, there are quite a number of derelict properties in the Cork City and suburbs um, now are uh, uh, dangerous buildings and building control uh, teams inside in the City Council are looking at these constantly and doing inspections and audits and so on. But during this time of the year now, we find that a lot of people are breaking into the properties and uh, utilising them for parties or accommodation and so on and carrying out a lot of destructive activities inside or setting fire to buildings using electrical uh, supplies that may be available to the buildings and tapping in in illegal manners. How, how do you mean tapping into a dangerous power source that only ESB uh, should yeah, be working on? Exactly, yeah. So there are some dangerous, um, you know, activities going on in, in these properties as well. Yeah. Um, so it, it's becoming more challenging. So is this intentional, intentional, intentional setting it on fire? The, the Echo was talking about that they'll burn any materials available to them, sometimes the furniture, um, yeah. ter- tearing down yeah, so doors for fuel. Are they living exactly. in them? They're, they're generating heat. Some people might be squatting or, or temporarily living in them. Other people will use it for parties, maybe for drink or drugs. Yeah, I mean, are these privately owned properties that are vacant? Because it would be quite hard to get into 
a council property with the metal hoardings, wouldn't it? You you would believe the efforts that people go to. These um, steel shutterings are damaged and forced open using crowbars and other devices to get into these properties. Yeah, nothing would surprise me. I saw a video over the weekend of a fella getting out of the back of a paddy wagon uh, managing to uh, push the sliding door open at the top. He must have had some strength. He climbed out over the top of it and ran away. So I suppose if there's, if you know, needs must, if there's a will, there's a way. Exactly, yeah. and if you have a group of people, combined efforts, they, they are gaining access to quite secure properties, yeah. yeah. And you think that coming, you know, closer and closer to dips in temperatures and across the winter, we're going to have more of this? That's, that's our kind of experience. Uh, people are now moving from outdoor, uh, you know, when the weather was warm and so on, and they could tolerate the, the cooler temperatures. It's becoming quite cold and wet now. They are looking for additional shelter with roofs over their heads and any property that they can gain access to, you know, and not be disturbed is fair game, I think. Yeah, uh, but to some extent, we have to bear in mind that these are people in desperate situations with desperate needs. They see properties with nobody living in them. They have nowhere to live. I wonder, can we really blame them for trying to find somewhere to be safer and warm? Now, I can sympathise with some of these, but um, some other situations is purely on the um, using it for a drug and alcohol abuse. So it's there are the genuine cases and there are the opportunists. You know, so. Yeah, yeah. Used to party or to um, use drugs or whatever the case may exactly. be. Yeah, and unfortunately, way too many people are interested in burning and destroying and vandalizing things. Anyway, you saw that story in the papers last week that we're talking about across the country the amount of vandalism that's going on in Ireland, particularly to historic sites. It seems to me as if it just gets worse and worse. Exactly, and you know the. The, the, I suppose the conscious decision to protect properties has gone in these circumstances and they will use any means at their disposal to, to generate heat and to enjoy themselves and they'll just leave the property and move on to somewhere else when that's not um, usable anymore for their means. Well, that's not genuine homelessness, for sure it's not. No, Victor, it's not. Thanks so much for taking the call, Victor Shine at Cork City Fire Brigade. Might be a better line, Frank, I think we swapped to, uh, to WhatsApp. The figure for Cork, can you hear me all right? On the, yeah, in, yeah, yeah, the yeah, inside yeah. pages of the examiner says that Cork City takes 75 weeks to relet a vacant council property. 75 weeks. Oh, wow. That's, that's, that's crazy. I mean, that makes no sense. How can it take that long when a lot, a lot of these properties are probably quite ready to, to turn around, you know? And on top you of know, that, the average really- cost to get it back on the market, they're saying is... Uh, uh, the average letting cost is 19 and a half grand a pound. Oh, that's just to do with, with rental costs. I don't have the figure on. How much would it cost then on average refurb? Right. That, do you know? I don't know that figure, you know, but I suppose if they're taking everything out and putting everything back in new, it's going to cost a lot more than if they actually use what they already have, you know. So a lot of money could be saved by actually using the existing uh, kitchens and stuff. But, you know, it, I mean, th- there has to be something wrong, Neil, doesn't there? You know, to, to, to take this long, 70 weeks, you know, with a house, someone was living there all along, someone moves out, surely within a few weeks or whatever, someone could be back in there again and have a roof over their head, you know. I mean, um, I think it's, um, it really is more questions have to be asked about this. Why is the city council struggling on this? Do they need more money? Do they need more resources? Do we need a, a, a national approach? Maybe a national approach is what we need, Neil, you know. Maybe we need to take a far more joined up approach across all the local authorities and the state 
and tackle this much more seriously. You know, like it's not about pointing figure at the city council, but ultimately, if they can't do it, then we have to rethink how it's happening. It's you know? said that and local uh, authorities aren't restocking maintenance crews, which leads to having to tender out the work, and that leads to way too much processing for procurement of people who will do the work. All of this kind of red tape and stuff, you know. Yeah, and that just to me sounds like a lot of excuses. That's fine for you and me, Neil, because we, we're both fortunate enough, privileged enough to have a roof over our head. But what about the person who hasn't, you know? And um, I think I think it does look that we need a, a state approach, you know, a much more national approach to this, you know, maybe something like a state body, look at maybe getting people back working in these, uh, in terms of, and also we need a lot more people doing uh, learning the skills and the trades as well. There's clearly a huge shortage of that in Ireland as well. And also there was a time, of course, when the council or, you know, back in the day, the corporation employed its own tradespeople and had all of the trades working for them. Yeah. Uh, but that was back in the day when they actually built houses themselves. But there are other areas of the country that aren't as alarming as Cork City with 75 weeks to relet a property. South County Dublin can do it in 22 weeks. Okay, well, that's the thing. I mean, how can they do it so much quicker? You know, what 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 magic have they got that they can turn them around so quick? So maybe the, the council need to look at what they're doing. Maybe they have different processes, maybe a different approach, you know. And if they are best practice, if that is best practice, maybe that best practice, like I say, needs to be rolled out across the country. I mean, you know, one thing is, you know, tackling private ownership in terms of people having a derelict home or whatever, that's surely more challenging than council-owned properties. I mean, council-owned properties, they should be showing leadership and bringing their properties around really, really quickly. Here's you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Tackling private ownership, that's more challenging. Yeah, okay, well, you, you are know, talking about 600 a, voids it's, it's, in Cork City and 700 properties privately owned within two kilometres of the city. Here's an interesting text for you. You mentioned the figure 34 weeks. Yes, I did. That's nationally. In Cork City, it's 75 weeks. There's a, there are three three-bedroom houses in my eye view in the Glen lying idle for over two years. And alongside them, there's a bottom floor, one bedroom apartment idle too. There's a two bedroom bungalow next door that's at least 34 weeks bull. The, uh, that's a list of properties, four or five properties. These homes could have been easily turned over in a week if they put a, go- a good, strong work team in there. Just have a drive around the north side, Neil, mm. and see the amount of houses, bungalows and flats that are empty for at least four years. Oh, that's, you know, and that's it. Like, that's what Jude and I have been doing since we came back is we've been walking around the city, taking photographs, trying to shine a light and challenge it, you know, and uh, it's, yeah, I mean, we've been lucky that more and more people have got involved, but, you know, it just doesn't make sense in the middle of a housing crisis. It just, I, I can't see how anyone can justify these effic- uh, lack of efficiency and, um, you know, what we need to do to get the council to, to change practices. And maybe, like I said, maybe it has to be a national approach. Okay. And Cork does seem to be a lot worse. But but then we've been around the country a lot, Jude and I, taking pictures in other towns and cities. And it is a national issue, dereliction, have no doubt. It is a national issue. But for some reason, Cork City Council have definitely took the finger off the pulse for quite a while. And, and if you um, were in there or invited in to give a contribution or if you were running... Um, uh, some kind of a project to reverse this crisis, what would you do? Well, the first thing I do in Cork is I do full audits of all the buildings. You know, I, I, so I, I basically, what you're doing there at the moment, no, with your radio show, people are ringing in saying they have different properties. So I do full audit of the city itself, the properties, the, the, the standard, you know, what's being used, not used, because there, there isn't, they haven't got that data even, Neil. They don't even know what's happening in their own city. 
And then from that, then I would add all properties onto that derelict register and charge the owners 7%. And then obviously what I would do as well is push forward with measures that exist like compulsory purchase and also obviously get out the, the incentives, the carrots as well. There's, there is a lot of financial support for people as well. And for the and council properties of which there are 850 across the city and county, 850 council homes, according to the independent in Cork City and County, are vacant right now. Well, I suppose the first thing I'd have to do there is look at what, yeah, I'd have to look at what they're doing at the moment. It's quite unclear. I mean, what is what is their existing team? What How are they attacking that, you know? And do they need to bring in new people? Like you said, do they need to go back in time and actually have their own teams of people employed within the, the council? Or, you know, so you'd have to do a full audit of all that as well. I mean, um, and also you'd look at best practice at places like, uh, South County Government, whatever is is doing it differently, find out why are they doing it differently. Maybe they're not ripping out there? entire kitchens. Up. Maybe that's one of the reasons why. Maybe, maybe that's it. And someone has to go out and, and find that out. And I suppose we all need a bit more conference in our city. You know, we need the city council to show leadership and, and bring us back into the city in terms of confidence. And at the moment, we're not seeing that. What we're getting, unfortunately, is a lot of excuses. And um, excuses don't provide homes, do they? No, and one of the main excuses I'm seeing is that they're saying they can't get tradespeople. But Pat says, where are all the builders to fix the council houses, you ask? Well, for the last 20 years, parents have insisted that their kids go to college so they can work in the tech sector, which is now collapsing. He's making the point that uh, apprenticeships were never at as low a level, apparently. Yeah, and I think we've we've seen that, you know, obviously we need to go back and start encouraging the apprenticeships and maybe we need to look at our education system. There are definitely bigger questions need to be answered and are asked and they obviously would have to happen in parallel. So yeah, definitely encourage more people, mm-hmm. make it worthwhile. Wouldn't it be great if, if, if young people want to do apprenticeship, if the council was able to take them on and give them their first job through restoring uh, council homes, wouldn't that be a wonderful thing to do, you know? Yeah. Creating jobs, giving people the skills. I mean, you know, you know, I, I mean... You know, you're right. People were encouraged to go to university. Maybe it wasn't suitable for everyone. Maybe, you know, it wasn't what they wanted to do. But I think, you know, if we could turn that around and it might be a bit slower, but at the same time, it would be wonderful um, to have people with the skills for plumbing, electrics. There are such wonderful jobs anyway. And wherever you you go in the world, you can bring your skills with you. Yeah. But I think um, definitely, if I, I mean, I suppose... I don't understand how the council works in Cork. You know, I really don't. And I suppose it would be interesting to see how this actually works in practice and why, what is the detail behind them actually not being able to deliver, you know, because, mm-hmm. you know, we should not have these numbers, Neil, should we? I mean, if we had so much housing that everyone had a house and it wasn't an issue, I suppose you could argue it's not a priority, but it's been a priority for years. I'm only in Cork City for four years and it's been a priority since I got here. People are on housing lists for years and years. I can guarantee you I'll probably get a call from somebody who'll tell me they've been on a housing list 8, 10, 12 years. Um, and it just seems to be going from bad to worse. Let's get the thoughts of the people of Cork on this one. Yeah. But uh, thanks for catching up, Frank. Appreciate it. Thanks for taking the time. No, no problem at all. Take care. Take no care problem. Yourself. Take care. Uh, Frank O'Connor and Jude Cherry um, have a, an ongoing campaign which you can follow online, Dereliction in Cork City. And they do photograph and they do go about and they do uh, have information updated constantly on the amount of vacant properties and derelict properties 
in the city, suburbs and county. Text 0868 Back after the break. Get it off your chest. Call Neil Prenderville now on 0818 Red FM. Yes, indeed. Where are all the builders gone? Well, a lot of them uh, are working and working flat out. Others, of course, uh, particularly younger ones, have decided that Ireland is no longer fit for purpose and they are legging it. Have done are doing and will continue to do so at an alarming rate to places like Australia. Text 0868104106, pick up the phone on 0818104106 uh, on City Council's housing. It's all happening on the City Manager's watch. And I bet if you ask for a comment, you'll get the same old famous one-liner. We are at it and we need to get from A to B and that is a journey. Well, she did say that to me recently and uh, um, actually approached me with uh, a wish to coming on air. Uh, I have been going back trying to get a, a date for that to happen and as soon as it does, I will bring it back to your attention and get uh, the city manager uh, on the air. Text 0868104106. Pick up the phone on 0818104106. Lot, and I'll come back to this, I promise you. Uh, a lot of people contact me not just by phone or indeed by text but also by email and this is alarming. My mother is seven years old. She slipped on Thursday, severely cut the back of her head. She also injured her rib cage. Very painful for anyone, but certainly a 78-year-old. An ambulance was called at 3 p.m. to Charleville. It arrived at 5. She was taken to the CUH Gulag. That's the emailer's description, the Gulag. She sat in a chair from 6 p.m. to 10 a.m. on Friday morning. 6 p.m. Thursday evening, 10 a.m. Friday, on a chair, before she was discharged with two paracetamol. No x-ray, no scan done. She lay in bed at home all day Friday in agony. And then on Saturday morning, my sister said she would bring her to Mallow Hospital. She could barely stand in such agony and pain. She waited five hours only to be told by Mallow to make her own way again to CUH. So back up to Cork and back in line again. She has been sitting in a chair in agony since 2 p.m. Saturday. I'm messaging you now from the front door of the A&D late Sunday afternoon and she has still not met a single doctor. We've been told there is only one doctor on duty in the CUH A&D all of Saturday evening and night. I can see her fading and deteriorating before me as the hours and the days pass. This is a total disgrace. The staff are nice and all that, blah, 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 but we are here for help, not to meet new nice people. What's going on to take, what, what's it going to take to sort this excuse of a hospital system we have? One nurse says the system is not broken. She said to us, there is no system. Is now a danger to get ill and go to hospital as you can actually die in front of the nurses and doctors while they go about their business with the same apathy and manner as if people were in a queue for a McDonald's. Nice won't save someone. Action, urgency and attention will. We're in total despair at this stage. One nurse said she went home during the week and returned 20 hours later and the same patients were waiting and even more behind them. That's just alarming. She said that one woman has been here with a suspected stroke since Thursday morning as the right medic is not here to see her. What the hell have we turned into as a society, says Dan in Mallow. Now, um, that would have come into me mid-yesterday afternoon, so I'm expecting an update as to what happened since four or five o'clock yesterday afternoon with your 78-year-old mother. Bear in mind that this all started 
um, lunchtime on Thursday when she fell, severely cut the back of her head and suffered injuries to her ribcage. But there are so many different parts of that email that are alarming. Um, Notwithstanding the fact that up until four o'clock on Sunday, she still had not met one single doctor, although her fall was on Thursday. But another point, actually, that jumps off the page. We have been told there is one doctor on duty in CUH A&E for all of Saturday evening and night. I mean, how can that that be, Uh, particularly at a weekend, particularly on a Saturday night, when for all sorts of different reasons, you would have more people going to A&E, a lot of them from, let's just put it like this, over-socialising. So one doctor on duty in the CUH A&E for all of Saturday evening and night. Another nurse saying there is no system. It's not broken. There just isn't a system. And another nurse again then saying she went home during the week, um, came back for her next shift 20 hours later, and the same patients were still there waiting with even more behind them. I mean... Yeah, I understand when you ask the question, what the F have we turned into as a society? I have no idea. But Dan, I'm very keen now to get an update as to what happened since four o'clock yesterday afternoon. Come back to me. Text 0868104106. Talk to Neil Prenderville now. 0818104106. Cork's Red FM. Dan says it's a disgrace. Uh, we don't go to A&E to meet nice people. We there, we're there because we need the system to work. Not as one nurse said, it's not broken. There just is no system. To an extent, we need to bear in mind what the nurses are going through or the staff and the doctors themselves if there's only one uh, on the evening and night of probably one of the busiest days of the week in an A&E Saturday. Jane, good morning. Good morning, Neil. How are you? Uh, you say someone's going to die in the COH and who's going to take responsibility for it. Well, unfortunately, alarmingly, they do send to, tend to send an awful lot of people home without the proper treatment. In the case of a 78-year-old, no X-ray, no scan, two paracetamol, off you go. Um, yeah, absolutely. Well, Neil, I've been down this road before now with my mother. Um, I've been on to you before about it, and thankfully she's safe now and secure inside a nursing home with my dad. But I had a very different experience the other night, Neil. I... Um, was dealing with a very sick child at home, you know, and I'd done all I was meant to do to avoid um, accident and emergency because of the horror stories that are coming out of there. But I was left with no choice, really. He got incredibly ill by the Wednesday night, steroids and et cetera, and I said, I just can't really now do this anymore. uh, Someone else has to intervene here. So what did you do in the early hours of the morning? I got the South Dock first, um, just to make sure that I was doing the right thing by going up there. And um, that was about 11.30, I'd say, Neil, on Wednesday night. So we got into South Dock and he said, no, look, you need to go in. So we went up into the CUH. Um, I I don't even know what words to... It was like a third world country. You know, there were sicker children, Neil, than my baby there, you know. So when you go to a and is there, is there a specific area that you go to with children? Well, first of all, what happened was, no, no, there wasn't really because it was absolutely mental up there. There was elderly thrown in together with sick children. What night was this? Um, this was on the Wednesday night, elderly with bad injuries. Seen all this before. Um, so we were sitting down and I just made, you know, eye contact with other very scared parents. There was the cough that seemed to be going around the nurse or around the um, A&E area was very 
It was horrific to listen to. You know, Neil, there was a lady sitting beside me and her little girl was about three, like vomiting from this cough. No No doctor came near anybody, nobody. And this lady had been there since nine. I must have got there maybe at about half past 12. I had to take my very sick child home at half past five myself on my own accord because I couldn't get him even a spoon of Calpol and his temperature was spiking really high. Um, Another two mothers followed on after me. They got out of there as well. We could not get care for our children, so we left. I got up at five, at about 7.30 and I went to the Mercy. And? Um, Much better experience. They were absolutely fantastic up there to us. We had a bit of a long day but my son got the proper care and medication that he needed. Okay, you said that there were elderly, battered and bruised sitting on chairs. Battered and bruised, sitting on chairs. I'd seen it, a lady that was there with a big gash in the back of her head. Now, you'd expect to see me, I suppose, some kind of um, franticness up there from doctors. You'd expect to see people under pressure. I didn't see anyone under pressure. I'm sorry. I don't know what was going on maybe further back. I was out in the main like area of right. A and E. But ask these people, are ye okay? Can we get anything for your children? Check their temperatures. Avoid seizures. My son had a seizure before from onset of a very high temperature. Okay, uh, okay. Hold, hold that thought. I'll come back after ten. I hope you're in a position to just finish this conversation because there seems to be that there are. There's technically two lines of approach. There's the triage, which is the first stage, and then it's going into the system proper. So you don't know what's happening behind the main doors in the A and D proper, where maybe you have the doctors or indeed the nurses literally run off their feet inside, having processed people and got them into the A and D. So we'll pick that up after 10. Text 0868104106. Get it off your chest. Text The Neil Brinderville Show now. 0868104106. Red FM. Just to finish my conversation with you, Jane, you were, you were saying that ultimately you went home at half five in the morning because had your child been getting sick and you had to bring him home to clean him up. Yeah, I had to take him home to um, clean him up and okay. obviously try to keep on top of the temperature, meal and all that, you know. Okay, because, so um, while you were there, it, yeah, with high temperature and, you know, went to the A&E at the Mercy later that morning and it was considerably yeah. better. I, I get the impression as well that nurses want, certainly nurses, want people to speak out, don't they? Uh, they're very open to tell people how the system isn't working and that it's a crisis point. They want people to know. Oh, yeah, absolutely. They need all the support in place there, Neil, because they don't want this happening at all on their time or their watches or they want to be able to care for the people that are going in there. But you see, the thing is, Neil, when you're going into these hospitals with children, parents obviously have to accompany their children. What I found quite upsetting and frightening, because as I said, I've been there a thousand times with my own mum, um, prior to all this COVID and I was able to sit with her. I was her voice. There's elderly going in there, Neil, with no voices. And I think of that generation, okay. they stay quiet. Okay. They don't complain. They don't open their mouths. And I don't understand still to this day why people of that age who are, in my eyes, children, do not have the right to a voice from a member of their family. Is it the case the now? It was in full swing now over the weekend, so I can't listen to this whole COVID infections and everything else. They deserve support and a voice inside and being Are there restrictions in A&E for people bringing somebody who's ill or in pain? Well, that's the way that it looked to me now, because there was a lot of elderly sitting 
on their own in A&E. Okay. A lot of elderly sitting on okay, their I own. Need to, I need to clarify that to find out if there's still some rule well, in place. Well, maybe they, they, might, they might get on to you and they might tell you, but from what I was looking at, these elderly were on their own. Okay. I made, I made the choice to say, no, my son deserves better than this. And thank God when I got up to the mercy it was just a completely different experience. But for the elderly that were there, and Dan started the ball rolling with this one, with his 70-year-old mother who slipped on Thursday. Oh, so yeah. This was a That's severe lovely, cut yeah. to the back of her head. Uh, there's yeah. no talk of stitches here now, no x-ray, no scan, also badly mm-hmm. injuring her rib cage. And she sat there and sat there from 6 o'clock on Thursday to 10 a.m. Friday morning and was sent home with two paracetamol. Then was they, they said, okay, we'll try Mallow Hospital. So they brought her to Mallow then later that day, uh, waited five hours, and all they told her in Mallow Hospital was that you need to make your own way back to the CUH. So back to the CUH they go, and from then, Saturday morning to 4 p.m. yesterday afternoon when he contacted me, she was still there, had not seen a single doctor. This conversation now, I've heard this um, on the radio before, Neil, and I just hope that this is highlighted. How is that right? Neil, if that was, uh, you know, I don't know if your mother's with you no, or not. No, she's passed but, away 15 years uh, But like, you know, this is not right on our elderly. It is not right. They, I really do feel anyway that the respect for our elderly is completely And do you, just, when you were there, you saw, you, your words, not mine, oh, battered, saw, you saw elderly no, battered people. Elderly, um, yes, from falls and everything. And I saw a and lady. And they don't complain, so they don't. at the back. No, my, my mum was the exact same, so that's, that's, that might be the way that they need it. Where I'm, what I'm trying to get at, Neil, is it was my mum and I had to go through that process again. I hope I never have to. But that someone has a voice, please look after my mum. See, there could be an internal bleed. Their bones are so brittle, nobody knows. They could snap a bone without even knowing it. And this woman has such a horrendous fall. She deserves treatment, she deserves care. Not to be pushed through one hospital to another, especially at her age. But the woman that you saw like, with you, you said... something about it? But you said there was an elderly woman there with a gash to the back of her head. A, ba- a gash to the back of her head. She was on her own now, Neil. I did now. Maybe there was someone else around the corner. I was just trying to keep my own. But had it been bandaged um, or treated or anything? No, no. I could see. The, I could see the gash. She was just sitting there. Yeah. I don't get it, man. I don't know. I don't know. But even just to see our elderly, just at that time of the morning, sitting there afraid, alone nobody with them to reassure them I was able to hold my mum's hand and say okay it could have been a 19 hour race till we got a bed until she got the proper treatment because believe me on the other side Neil I said this to you before there's amazing doctors up in that CUH that cared for my mother oh my god I couldn't say enough about them you know the best men the problem is downstairs and there's a no I have to say this as well okay and maybe these people are exhausted they're tired they're broken the compassion from them is absolutely after being drained from them. It's mm. drained. Yeah. They don't have it. Is that why he says that you get the same apathy there as you would if you were queuing for, queuing for a Big Mac and McDonald's? That's a bit harsh, That's, isn't it? Um, are they like, they're just on autopilot? These are, are people speaking about their, their loved ones as well. You know, they're just... It's how they feel. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. It's, how, it's how they feel and they, you know, like... I don't know where it's going to end, but unfortunately from my own eyes and what I witnessed the other night, 
someone's going to die at, the, at their hands up there. Mm. Okay, all right. That's what that's what's going to happen, and that's the sad part of it. So you know, more voices, more support, and. More help is needed. Someone Thanks, needs Jane. To intervene ASAP. Thanks for taking okay, the call. Neil, you saw it with your own eyes. You too. Take care. Neil, uh, you joking? This all started when they closed the North and South Infirmary A and E's. How did they think that was going to work? Morning. I got a heart attack three weeks ago. I was on a trolley for six days in the A and E. There were no beds available at the Mercy. Even the surgeon said to call your program. Yes, I, I believe that those that are working in the system want people to know how bad it is because they're just holding their hands up and saying. It's not us. We are not the makings of this problem. We're just dealing with it. And that's why a nurse will say, system? There is no system. All of the hospitals in Dublin have A&E departments and there are enough hospitals in Dublin. Um, where are the extra hospitals for Cork, Carrigaline, Glanmire, Ballincollig, the three fastest growing towns in Ireland? What does that tell you of life outside of Dublin? Text 0868104106. The Neil Prendeville Show. Gold winner for interactive speech program at the Imro Radio Awards 2022. Court's Red FM. What's happening, guys? It's just going bad for the, to worse. Young people are leaving the country. People can't get mortgages. They can't afford to pay their rent. We hear that the jobs in tech, which are supposed to be the way of the future. You got your Twitter and your Facebook, and they're just laying off people in drugs. Droves, thousands of them, planning more cuts this week. Then you have, of course, uh, a housing crisis and you've got 75 weeks to turn around a Cork City home. 30, 75 weeks to turn around a Cork City Council home. A lot of texts on that. On top of that, then you have hundreds and hundreds of voids. We were chatting with Frank O'Connell on the air this morning who speaks of 600 uh, council voids. That's council properties that are boarded up. Keep those texts coming. I left a perfect house 107 weeks ago on Baker's Road. It was perfect when we left. It's still empty. They only do up a few. Some are let out as they are. Well, yours was perfect, wasn't it? It could have been let out as it was. You say it was a perfect house. 107 weeks ago is over two years ago. Is labour that hard to get for corporation houses? Why don't they employ apprentice plumbers and electricians, etc.? I'm sure that there's some red tape involved in that. I'm sure that there's some kind of bureaucratic law that doesn't allow apprentices and, you know, health and safety and, you know, taking all of the boxes. I saw a house in Middleton bought by the council. The house was 20 years old. They took out all the PVC windows. Absolutely nuts. I wonder why. Was it that they were double glazed and the standard now is that all council properties have to be triple glazed? This is the kind of thing we're probably dealing with now. The tender came out for those 600 voids in Cork City that you speak of. It's the lowest price gets the job and they gave the contract to one builder from outside of Cork, which is absolutely ridiculous. If they had broken it down to a few builders, the work would have got done much faster. And that's from somebody who tendered for some of the voids. Voids mean Cork City properties that are empty and supposedly in need of refurbishment. There's at least 600 of them. So they gave the entire contract, he's saying to me, to one builder, which means that they will move much, much slower with one builder than breaking it down and giving it to lots of builders. <laughs> you would despair. Uh, you only have to look at problems in onboard Panon at the moment on ditch.ie. Getting anything done in council housing is a minefield, I'd imagine. There's never any one person responsible for anything. Um, That's the why and that's the how. No one taking responsibility. Well, I suppose 
some people have different jobs and they must stay within the remit of their own job I guess where are all the builders to fix the council houses for the last 20 years parents have insisted their kids should go to college and not get apprenticeships uh, why can't the council sell some of the houses to those who need it they could sell them for a smaller fee it would clear the backlog on the housing list and release stock that the council clearly can't manage themselves. The buyer would then take the houses as is and there'd be no involvement for the council going forward. They ran a scheme like this in Liverpool years ago and it completely regenerated huge areas of the city. And then somebody sent me a photograph of a house in the southern suburbs. This house, there's a skip out outside and it's full. This house has been empty for nearly two years near me. The people that left were constantly cleaning. Even on the day they left, they power washed all the driveway so that it was ready for someone else to move in. Um, That was two years ago. A skip arrived two weeks ago and men have been working in there since. It's a council house. So they left it pristine. I mean, they were so clean that they power washed the drive when they were leaving, on the day they were leaving. But yet it sat idle for two years and now two weeks ago, a skip arrived. Why not give the vacant houses to families who will do them up themselves? Make it rent-free for a year as a thank you and then start charging rent after that. Let people do them up themselves. And I'd say people would be very happy to take council properties as is. I mean, there needs to be some kind of a standard, but a lot of the time I'm hearing stories and people saying they left properties that were absolutely perfect. Back to the phone lines we go. Keep those texts coming. Text 0868104106. So everything is in a state of crisis. Patrick, good morning. Neil, how are you? Oh, listen, you're the Patrick that sadly, unfortunately, had a heart attack three weeks ago, is it? Yeah, that's okay. right. Uh, um, okay. Last last Thursday fortnight. First time? Heart attack? First time, yeah. Okay. And didn't um, didn't have any symptoms as in pains, any tingling, anything like that. It was a silent heart attack. How do you know then that you were in trouble? Because there's a small, like imagine tipping your hand with your finger and you feel a small beat, right? And that was going on for a couple of weeks, but it was only occasionally, maybe once or twice a day. And I said, look, I better just go get this checked. And a friend of mine was pushing me, look, there's no harm going in just to get an ECG and see what's happening, you know? Good. Yeah, in an ideal world, that would happen. But what happened instead? Yeah. So I would, that's what happened. I went into the mercy and um, sat down there as, as as they said it is packed. Now you can bring somebody in with you just as you asked there a while ago. You're allowed to bring somebody in with you to the waiting room. Is that the same in you CUH? Know, the outside part of it. Uh, I don't know about that's, CUH. Okay, Marcy, that's what yeah. I'm checking. I'm just wondering why there's so many yeah. elderly people on chairs looking frightened and hurt with nobody with them in oh, the well, A&D and CUH. Well, you see, when uh, I'm only speaking about the part now where you actually don't, before you go into triage and I, stuff like that, you're low bring someone there. But apart from that, you're low bring nobody in. When you go through into the A&D proper? When you go through the doors, that's it. Yeah, that's it. There's right. nobody left in after that. I can kind of understand right, that because at that stage, yeah. you're in the hands yeah. of medical professionals. I get that. Yeah. You are. And yeah. it's packed. And there's no room. There's not enough staff. I, there's too many patients. There's just not enough. You couldn't have somebody in there. Okay. It's just not possible. Okay. Why did you call it a and battlefield, though, the Mercy? Well, I was in there for six days on the trolley. Six days on yeah. the trolley in what area? In the, any, yeah, any, okay. right? Yeah, with a heart attack, and they, they they genuinely didn't know whether I had a heart attack or whether they thought it was a chest infection. They took me after three days for they kept giving me tablets and took me then for three days for. Um, a scan and um, then obviously the plan was to, to get me out to the CUH to the cardiology unit 
but it was just basically just left there for six days pumping with tablets. But I was near the reception, so you could just see everything that was coming in and out. There was that, like the staff was just they were fantastic. I can't say anything bad about the staff now. In fairness, it's not about them. You see, this isn't a this isn't a criticizing staff staff issue. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely. And I mean, I've seen girls there leaving at eight o'clock at night in tears. They just could not get around to everybody who needed something. Like, my, I, I sent you in, I think, last week, um, videos of the alarm going off in, you know, obviously when your, your blood pressure reaches a certain limit, when you're having a heart attack, your alarm goes off. I mean, I actually got shown how to turn off my own alarm. Now, the alarm indicates there's something wrong. Like you should There's something wrong. Well, it's should... meant to indicate there's something wrong. And they showed you how to switch that um, off. They showed me how to turn it off to silence at you. Because they just didn't have time to come to it. And I took a couple of videos and there was one stage there, I think it was about 45 minutes and I just got sick of listening to it and turned it off myself. Okay. Did you send me those videos? Yeah. Okay, I didn't see them. Last week. Okay, okay, yeah. okay. But, um, Sorry about that, about they didn't, they didn't get as far as me. I'll, I'll find out why. But when you were, when no, you were, when you were okay. there, um, you were just being pumped up with medication, but Medication, to, yeah, to, to, medication, medication. Yeah. Would that medication stop you aspirin having a major and, banger? Like, I, I would imagine so. Yeah, just giving you aspirin and giving you different things like that, and then they're meant to obviously just keep an eye on you. See, the problem is in the mercy you've only got like you know you've an intensive care unit and you've a cardiac care unit, right? And that's an intensive care for cardiac. There's only four beds in it. And when you, say, when, when you were, you, when you were on that trolley, you were in the main waiting area, as in reception. In the waiting area, yeah. The reception yeah. area, the big area. And you, yeah. you, you say yeah. you saw in, staff... Inside the, inside the open place where there's people on trolleys everywhere. Like. Yeah, okay. Yeah, okay. Um, you, you, you say you saw staff finishing their shift crying. Is that real? Did you really? A couple of nurses, yeah. Yeah, I, I'm just upset because, I mean, like there was times in there where they were, they're just meant to have six patients, as I don't know whether you're aware of that. Each nurse is only meant to be allocated six patients, but right. some of them had 14. Right, right. And I mean, you like, I mean, as where I was then, obviously, it's a situation where you can see people coming in and all they would just say accidents, um, car crashes, people having cardiac arrests, everything. And it's all going on in front of you. You saw this day in, day out for six days. You really, Oh, yeah, for six days. Yeah. 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 And, I mean, look, I mean, they were absolutely, as I said, they were absolutely excellent staff. I'm not going to knock them by any means. Now, going back to the cardiology part. Where but in the, private, in the private sector, like, I don't know. It, it's just like, I mean, the private sector is, is bad in many aspects, I know. But th- th- yeah. it wouldn't be it wouldn't be allowed. Like you wouldn't that you know we're we're all into mindfulness happen, no. now no. and welfare and you know quality of yeah. life and you yeah. know like. But see, the problem being is the people that are in charge of these middle management or whatever they are, they're grand and they're saying, oh yeah, we're running the health service and it's all running perfect from our paper sheets here in our offices and above and all or whatever. But I mean, go down to ground level and okay. spend six so, days on the trolley inside an A&E and watch and you tell me, are you happy with your mum or your dad or your sister or your brother then? Uh, I'd be very, very worried. I'd be very, very worried. Um, Do you know what I mean? I really well, would. I mean, of course you're going to worry. I mean, I was going to, I was worried at one stage. Like, I mean, am I going to croak there? I mean, I had an 80% blockage now. And you know those nurses, they were nurses that were crying yeah. finishing their shift. They're probably going yeah. home to their laptops and they're Googling jobs in Australia. They're probably Googling jobs in okay. New Zealand. Well, I'll give Canada, you an example. I won't America. say what department or whatever, but I was speaking to three 
three student nurses, right, that were in their third year of um, doing their exams going into their fourth year. And the three of them, all of the three of them, were chatting to me one day while there was a procedure waiting to happen and they were telling me about how that they're now already after receiving emails. So when they're finished, they get do their masters in Australia, the hospital will pay for it, give them accommodation and more money than they'd be on when they qualify here as qualified nurse and they'll take them on out there and finish their training if they want. Isn't that a lot? And are they going to go? Well, they said they were. That's but alarming. You know I mean? That's like alarming, isn't Canada, it? The, it is. There's countries like Canada, America, all these like different high. Uh, we just say first world countries like we're meant to be that are now actually recruiting currently near hospitals in Cork City and shopping centres. What have they done? Set up stalls as it stands? Like they're, they're putting out. They're, yeah, they're putting out. What I don't know if there's stands now. To be honest, because I'd be being. I've seen the forty-eight sheets as I'm driving along. The huge big billboards looking for yeah. nurses and doctors. Yeah, and they're advertising that you know, please contact us in the Canadian whatever or the Australian whatever, and they'll fill them in and stuff like that. You know, doctors are constantly getting emails every day into their inbox. So, I mean, we're training them and then they're being shipped out. And they're, being tra- they're, they're being trained, they're being trained and, 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 and they won't mind me saying it, trained very well for export. By the Irish Basically. I mean, could you system. imagine your staff going in there every morning and you handing them 5,000 emails telling them that they have to answer you know, 150 phone calls. But that's the point. It just it wouldn't do. No, I mean, it's a lot of jobs are stressful it, yeah. jobs. I know, but the mm. it just wouldn't mm. be. It wouldn't be tolerated. Certainly, and and if it no. was, you'd find people leaving the job. Exactly, and I think I think to be honest with you that when we when I was inside there, right, okay, you, you're dealing with, and I'm not, look, I mean, look, I'm grateful to everybody who's inside there, no matter what nationality they are, but I don't think in the six days, maybe, I think the only person that I spoke to that was actually Irish was the, the professor that came around in the morning, and he's this little team that he had with him, and maybe out of six of them, there was two Irish, and apart from that, nobody. Yeah, because you see, with the shortage now, they have to rely on overseas agency yeah. staff. That's the issue now. Yeah, but people can die staff. in there. That's the problem. Okay. I mean, I was meant to go for the day, what you call it, on Monday, and I was given the wrong medication on the Monday morning, so they had to cancel it till Tuesday. Because there were two people in there with the same name. It's all very well for me sitting here because not needing it, but do you worry about if you had a parent who was in their, in this case, Dan's seventy-eight-year-old mother, but somebody else might have an eighty-five, yeah, an eighty-eight, a ninety-year-old. They'd be prone to falls and accidents and things like that. Yeah. And this is what they can expect and when they go in. Yeah. There was somebody in there as well, high profile. I won't mention their name no, because no. it's not fair, but no. mentioned your name and asked me would I call you. You see, they want people to know. And the they conditions. know you fairly well. Obviously, yeah. they're a friend because they said, look, whatever. And I said, I won't mention your name. And he said, grand, no problem. Yeah. And he'd be a senior, senior. Yeah, leave it. I don't want to identify anybody by virtue of their, going, yeah, their actual Johnny specific job. Yeah. But they want people to know how bad it is because that we need, we need to realise that we, yeah, because that's why a, 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 a nurse would say there is no system. You were given, yeah, the, and I mean, were you given the wrong medication? On the Monday, yeah. Because someone with the same name as you yeah, see, on in A&E, there's no uh, charts. They're all kept behind counters, where if you're in a ward, they're at the end of your bed. So, obviously, this nurse was just given, here, give this to Patrick McCarthy. Patrick, that could have killed your brother. It could have, yeah, but, I mean, she look, it didn't. But, I mean, it's just, I mean, it's not their fault. They're just told, here, give that to Patrick. No, I'm not saying it is. And I don't think, no, no, there's nobody yeah. in there intentionally giving anybody wrong medication. This is the, yeah. back to the, I should have six patients, I have 15. 
you know. I have, yeah. And, and it's just, and I mean, like, there's people on the trolleys there, like, they're, like, I mean, they're 17, 80 years of age, and they're lying on these trolleys with bags of, you know, we just say whatever, they're getting blood or intravenous, whatever, into them, and it's just, it's just so sad to watch, like. Do you talk to any of them? Like, I mean, they, some of them can't even talk. They won't talk. They're too embarrassed. They're too shy. Their heads are stuck down in the pillows and they don't know what to do, you know? Yeah, because it's... Yeah, yeah I mean, yeah, they're yeah. out on a trolley at 80 years of age on a trolley in, in a waiting area in a hospital and it's just wrong. That's the word, wrong. Yeah, it's a powerful word. Yeah, you know what I mean? It, it's, not, it's not fair, you know? All right, my man. But anyway, listen, thanks for I'm your, alive, thank God. You are, in fairness, and uh, I'm glad to hear that. Mind yeah. yourself. But thanks for the horror story, Talk nonetheless. Cheers, Cheers, my man. Take care. Text 0868104106. Just flipping back then to issues regarding all of the houses that are just boarded up. The council house system is a joke. My buddy sold his house to the council in July of 2018 in the Carrigaline area. He had a great house with a new kitchen fitted in 2016. Two years earlier, it cost him 15 grand for the kitchen. He offered them all of the furniture, the beds, etc. Before you ask why he sold it to the council, he was moving to Australia. They told him to dump everything as they had to put in new things. They then went in and ripped out a fabulous full wood door kitchen and put in a cheap laminate one. It looks like cheap crap. It's totally ridiculous. And the house was not occupied until 2019. So they bought it in July 2018. It wasn't occupied until October of 2019. So over three years later. They are nothing short of useless. There are six brand new houses in my estate since April 2021 and only last week one of the six was being moved into. They've been nearly 18 months sitting there brand new. That's six families who could have been living in them. Shocking. Text 0868104106. Get it off your chest. Text the Neil Brinderville Show now. 0868104106. Red FM. I'm just concerned about elderly people in A&Es. Um, um, and somebody described it as battered and bruised, just sitting there bewildered all on their own. I was curious as to whether or not you can accompany somebody into A&D. I would have further updates on this, but Claire just did a bit of digging there. And according to the HSC Emergency Department page, they say, bring a family member or a friend. You may take one family member or friend into the examination room with you. You cannot bring more than one person because of limited space. It is also to protect the privacy and comfort of all patients. That would lead me to believe that you can bring somebody with you, particularly if you're old or um, you know, incapable of looking after yourself because of various reasons, including perhaps an injury, that you can bring somebody. Um, we haven't got a response back from the CUH directly as of yet, but we have sent a query to the HSE press office, see what they have to say in the matter. But you did call the Mercy Emergency Department and inquired about whether or not people can bring a loved one, particularly an elderly person. And she was told that this information cannot be given out to the public. Uh, the person who she was talking with said there are some COVID restrictions in place, but wouldn't specify what they were. You'd think that they would, and then we could tell people, wouldn't you? Anyway, uh, also referred to situations like these being based on a case-by-case scenario. It depends on the volume of patients who present at the emergency department at the time. So unfortunately, that's all rather vague. So we'll drill in a little deeper and see where we go with that. So do keep the stories coming. Text 0868104106. And indeed, sharing stories of just how bad it is 
actually helps, I think. I hope it helps the staff and the situation and conditions that they're working under because they do want you to share stories as we've just heard. So text 0868104106. Can I just stay with the hospital system? Because I know we talk of A&E. I'm assuming that the same kind of problems aren't being witnessed um, in, say, for instance, other areas uh, of the hospital, like, say, for instance, within the maternity section of the hospital. I imagine that things are running quite smoothly there and that they can cope. Um, mind you, somebody within A&E is saying that one of the big problems in A&E is that many people who are attending shouldn't be there in the first place. I'll come back, back to that in a few minutes' time. But I had just booked in a conversation with Janet, and I do want to talk to her, and it is... Um, no, it's not a, an illness or a sickness or anything. It's childbirth, right? Janet, good morning. Hi, how are you? I'm good. And I know that at the weekend there was a big protest, wasn't there, on Side, where hundreds and hundreds turned out because of, explain to me now why you're protesting. It has to do with wanting a home birth, but there are restrictions on allowing it depending on where you live, is it? Exactly, yeah. Um, there is a home birth scheme, you know, established in Ireland and the HSE decided to put a restriction on it that um, you must live within 30 minutes of the hospital Why? or else you don't qualify. Because they connected to the fact that if you're in the hospital and you're in an emergency and, and they call it a category one, if a category one cesarean section is called, then the woman must get to the theatre in 30 minutes. Within 30 minutes. Is that's a reasonable thing, is it? No? It probably is in the hospital, yeah, but they're not comparing like with like at all. I mean, they're pushing, trying to trying to attach like this hospital mentality of what birth is to home birth and they're not the same thing so they can't really be compared and it doesn't hold up to any kind of um, any kind of rational thought or if I, I just feel like the people who made the decision don't know what home birth is right did you did you have a home birth Janet I did yeah I had my first pregnancy was a planned home birth and I was one of the women who was transferred to hospital and the second birth was at home. Okay. And when you had to go, was that because of a complication to hospital? It was, yeah, because okay. um, there was meconium in my water. Okay. And where, did you live far from the maternity hospital? No, I was 20 minutes away. Yeah. And did was time of the essence with regards to what was going on? Did you have to get there no. fast? No, I didn't. Because um, there are... The, the midwives, the home birth midwives are so skilled and they've seen so many women give birth in a natural, relaxed way that they know exactly by looking at you and they have so many procedures in place. They're not allowed to let a woman get into an emergency situation. Yes, like yeah, there's so yeah. many safeties. Um, if you have meconium in your waters, you have to be transferred. It doesn't matter. I was trans- I My waters broke at 8 o'clock and I gave birth at 12. So it was four hours later. There was no panic. <laughs> Um, just just looking at it from the point of view of statistics, do we know how many home births in Ireland in any particular calendar year? Um, we're 0.7% of the of home births. Under 1% of, of them. How, and how yes. many would that be? How many as in how many births? Um, I don't know. I wouldn't know the numbers. No. Okay. But, but it, they are, like, the evidence is that they are, they are safe. But um, the, but, I mean, I'd be much more worried about the numbers of the hospital. In terms of safety, well, I just somebody just gave me a figure of six hundred and fifty in okay. in in a calendar year. I'm wondering, uh, and so we don't know of the six hundred and fifty women who opted for home births last year. How many of them had to be brought to hospital? Do we? Um, 
One in five had to transfer to yeah. hospital. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but they, they say that it's because of this. You have to get to theatre in 30 minutes. But like a midwife is not allowed to call a category one cesarean section. Like, I mean, they make it like, you know, birth, home birth is like ER in your sitting room. It's not, you know, the home birth nurse uh, or the home birth midwife would never let you get to that stage. She's not going to call a cesarean. She's not an obstetrician. It's, they don't, it's like they, they had no, no understanding of what home birth is. And that's what's frustrating. And the, and the figures don't match up either. I mean, you're supposed to have 30 minutes to get to the hospital. Well, that means the ambulance is already outside your door if you live 30 minutes away. But you have to call the ambulance. So that's, you actually have to live 15 minutes maybe away. The, maybe they're preempting the fact that ambulance call times are slow because there's a shortage of them and they have to cover so much distance. You know, I, I just, I mean, listen, you know much better than the likes of me, but I'm wondering, are they just doing it for the, the mother's safety and the baby's safety being paramount? But that's already there. It, it, the mother's safety and the baby's safety is already there and the procedures and the safeties are already in place. Yeah. And this 30 minutes won't make any difference. It doesn't make any difference. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was transferred four hours before I had. And just because you have, just because the baby is in stress or the mother is in difficulty, doesn't that doesn't equal category one cesarean. They're not, they're not, like that's way further down the line. That's like, you know, that's when you've been under pressure for, it just doesn't, it doesn't connect. And all we're asking is that they ask the midwife who do the job. You know, there was no consultation. Um, and wh- and do, do you have to, does this have to be signed off in some way, shape or form by the HSE mm-hmm. or something? It does. It's just a recommendation and it hasn't been. No, no, I'm saying if, if, if you wish to have a home birth, can you not just do it or do you have to get permission to do it? Like <laughs> the only women who have home births are low risk. You know they've been screened so many times. You have to have you go. You have an appointment at the hospital and you talk to the home birth consultant yeah, there. Yeah. They go through all your history. They go through your health. You're not allowed to do it in the first place if you're not a healthy low risk pregnancy. Do and they assign you a midwife then? Is it? Yeah. Yes. Um, you have your home birth midwife. Oh you right. Yeah. Yeah. your appointment with her instead of going to the hospital. Yeah, so you can't just do it um, w- no. because you have to have an HSC-assigned midwife at the time of the birth. Exactly, and she comes to your house and you know her and it ends up being like, it's, a lo- it's an amazing experience. Yeah. I was going to ask you that. Why, why do people opt for it? Well, obviously you don't know much about it until <laughs> you find yourself in a situation, but um, a good friend of mine gave me a book while I was pregnant and it's, um, it was about American home births. And I was, I read so many amazing experiences about women having relaxed, beautiful, empowered births, you know, no fear, no pain, no drugs, no surgery. And I was like, it was a no brainer. I was like, that's what I want to do. Mm. And I wanted to give myself the opportunity to do what I knew my body knew how to do anyway. The baby was going to come out no matter what. And I wanted to be there to let it happen, not to struggle against it and to have my contractions put on a graph yes. or a clipboard. Yeah, I know. Yeah, uh, but um, so that would be no epidural, wouldn't it? Oh yeah, I had no no medication at all. I I ended up 
um, having my first child in hospital, but it was a natural birth because my midwife was allowed to stay with me and she was like, she was like my coach. She was brilliant. Um, and I had a natural birth because of her, because she was there. Yeah. She was able to yeah. um, speak for me when, you know, I was... Numbers are growing slowly though, aren't they? I think the more people that, that know about it, the more people... Would 472 in the last calendar year. Well, so far this year. 272 in 2019, 183 in 2017, 156 when you keep, you know, it, the numbers are growing every single year. And a lot of the women in Cork, a half of home births are in Cork and Kerry, and a lot of the women that would like to do it are in rural areas, and they're all disqualified just because they live far away, and distance from a hospital has no bearing on the outcome of labour. So it's just, it's a pie-in-the-sky decision, it's like a spitball. It's, it doesn't make any sense. And we just, I just want women to have the choice that I had. You know, it's not for everybody. You know, I'm not saying everybody should have a home birth, but if you want one, you should be allowed. Okay. But again, and, 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 again I'm not, I'm not second-guessing anything you're saying, but what comes into my head is if I'm, if I'm three hours from the maternity hospital in the UH and I'm down in Allahees or Aries or, you know, 50 miles west of Bantry, and the cord is wrapped around the baby's neck in the womb during labour. We have a problem then, don't we? No, the cord is wrapped around my son's neck and my midwife unwrapped it. They're experts. They're absolutely okay. incredibly skilled women. Okay. They're goddesses. <laughs> and, um, they should, you know, they, we shouldn't be limiting them. We so there, were, there would be no intervention needed urgently um, that would prevent you having a home birth uh, but, and you're three hours from a hospital. You really believe that? I do, yes. Yeah. Yeah. And if, the, if, if there was the hint of anything going wrong, the midwife would be all over. She'd be sent to hospital and you'd be sent to hospital in enough time. Because she'd pick up on it early like enough. Distance. Exactly, yeah. It's, yeah. it's not, it doesn't happen in five minutes, it's labour, it takes a while. <laughs> <It's hard work. laughs> And it's keeping women out of hospitals. It's keeping women out. You know, it's it's saving the ambulances for other people who need them. You know, it, you've been talking about how under pressure the hospitals are. These women are being looked after at home. They're less patients. Okay, hold on, hold on there, because I think Sarah is due any day soon. Sarah, Sarah good morning. Morning, Neil. How are you? Uh, I hear it's only days away. Days away, days away. And yeah, like the lady was saying there, I'm the same. I'm having a home birth as well. Please God all going well um, but I only found out about it about two weeks ago and lucky for me I was able to ring the right people and I was You found uh, out about a home birth option two weeks ago? Yeah Did you? Yeah. Okay and um, I suppose I just have my own personal reasons why I want to have home births for many reasons because I just have I've had two other kids and had not so good experience in, in the hospital Um but um, I also kind of I suppose that everything. But they weren't medically weren't. alarming experiences, were they? Uh, no, they weren't. No, I just didn't have the whole kind of you know the nice kind of experience. Really, kind I of had you. a hard time. Yeah. But yeah. I know for a fact, like there's no midwife that when I met them and when I spoke to them and spoke to the right people, they wouldn't have even considered me, or they wouldn't have even took my name or my number or took my details to say look we'll think about it or we'll call out to you and see like if you're not a candidate for home birth for many reasons if you've had complications your health issues yeah yeah your health past issues history, yeah, or yeah. You, you 
like there's no midwife that will take such a high risk for a mother and baby to have their home birth at home. Okay. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And how far um, from the CUH, uh, CUMH are you? I'm lucky I'm 14 kilometres, so just in and under maybe 10 minutes. Did they ask you um, that, though, what distance you are? They do, they do, they do ask you that. Um, and I think that's probably something for location-wise um, they consider themselves as well, I suppose. And I know at the moment I'm not really up there with what's going on with the mo- at the moment. With They're limiting it at 30 kilometres, that's, it. yeah. Like, I suppose, for many reasons, I suppose these people are on the ground and they're in the houses and delivering these babies and these midwives know what they're talking about. And if they feel that they're too far away from a hospital or from an ambulance getting to them on time, they're probably right in one sense. But, you know, I know, like, my midwife now, she was saying to me she had a case that the lady was quite rural and she was quite on the kind of tip of the waterfront and what have you. Um, but what they suggested was, and they came to an alternative, was that she would maybe try and go to a parent's house, a friend's house, a sister's house, a brother's house, that would be much more closer, much more... Um, in the event of... A, within 30 in kilometres, yeah. Yeah, and that would be for to allow the mom to have a home birth. And they went with that and ran with that, and that was very successful, you know? So it's not a kind of a thing that there is like, oh, no, because you're oral, but there should be other... Although that's not quite the same, though, if you want to have birth in your own bedroom, not somebody else's bedroom. You're still at home, Neil. You're you're still at home. You're in the comfort of your own house, in a house. You're still able to, you know, if you want to walk out of the room and go to another room in the house, come back in. If you want to hop into a shower and back. I just think and feel there is more options there and you're more relaxed, like instantly already. I've breathed through this pregnancy, thank God, and I have had a phobia about going into hospital oh, right. for many, many, yeah. many weeks yeah. now and months from up to it. And I think that's what was kind of, you know, adding to kind of problems. And the minute, the minute I rang them and spoke to the right people and I had the midwife call out to me, I felt every muscle in my body just relax instantly. And now I feel I'm just so relaxed because I'm at home now. Yeah. I'm kind of like nesting at home, as they'd say, and I'm more relaxed. And I know it'll be any day now, but everything's in place. Yeah. And, you know, everything's going well. And I've just instantly, and I have two kids as well, um, and they were a little worried about me going into hospital. And you know the way they'd be. But you have no apprehensions yourself now? No, I don't. I really don't, because I know my own body myself. And if I felt something myself, that I would say, look, I don't feel right, or... I can't do this or I, I shouldn't do this or whatever. And I think as well, the midwife, like they examine you from head to toe, inside out, back to front, and they don't cut no corners. Yeah. Their policies are like from the, the paperwork alone is from the bottom to the top. And like, if they're not happy with you, they're like, no, we go to the hospital. This is um, a natural thing that more women want an opportunity to make up their yeah. own minds about. And we should listen to them then, right? Do you know, and definitely, and I think it's a nicer option as well. And if you it know, used to be that want, way before, didn't it? Yeah, and if mothers want to have their babies wherever they want to have them, provided that it's safe for the baby and the mother, that should be the case. It but should be allowed be, because anyone, like we say, like myself, that had a bad experience in the hospital and had a phobia going into these hospitals, and with the way they are now, and they're gone so busy, no fault of any member of staff in those hospitals. Why would you want to put yourself in around that? Well, good luck with the birth in the coming days. It'd be good to chat with you after it. 
<laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, if I up for it, David, yeah. All right, well, even, even the text, just let us know how it went. Oh, jeez, yeah, brilliant, and I, I, I've no doubt it will be lovely. Okay, and good luck. Great. All right, thanks, Sarah. Thanks, thanks Janet. Perfect. Appreciate it. Text 0868104106. Calls on the way. Talk to Neil Prenderville now. 0818104106. Cork's Red FM. We're calls on the way after 11, but just to update you again, if you came late to the program, Neil's five star giveaway is back. Five famous voices that you need to identify. The payoff for this is a 10,000 euro prize, courtesy of ourselves and Soundstore, celebrating the opening of their new electrical superstore at Market Green Retail Park in Middleton. So whoever identifies and ultimately somebody will identify our five famous voices will win the entire prize 10,000 euro worth of whatever you want to spend it on in Soundstore at Market Green Retail Park in Middleton. So, uh, these are the five-star voices. Don't call just yet. I'll be opening the phone lines every single day. Don't worry, you'll get lots of opportunities. I love Cork. Right. FM. See people texting already. Yes, they are short snippets. Yes, they only say one word each. But this is a 10,000 euro giveaway at the same time. Have another listen. I love Cork. Right. FM. No. Somebody will start guessing the first voice, and they are, and, so, and then we'll be off and running, and we'll. I won't ever, I won't ever tell you which one is the right one, incidentally. And in, at this point in time, as I speak, I don't know any of them, and they won't tell me them for a long time yet. But as each voice is identified, a one hundred euro voucher will be won each time a correct voice is guessed for the first time, but only for the first time. Um, and then, of course, at some stage, we'll have four done and we'll be waiting on the final one. You still won't know, you know, which ones were right and which ones were wrong. I'll just say yay or nay. I'll say you got one right or you got none right. And as the days go on, I'll say you got two right or whatever the case may be. But nobody will know exactly um, what the vo- all voices are until all five are guessed. So 10,000 euros. You imagine it. I mean, you just walk through the door of uh, the superstore Soundstore Superstore in, in Middleton and you see everything that they have and I'll tell you some more about that throughout the course of the week um, but 10 grand would go a long long way to a complete home makeover to be quite honest with you with 10 grand you'd easily do every single thing in the home and I'm talking about right up to an induction hob or a range master or a big huge massive 85 inch television whatever the case may be but here are the voices again I love Cork's Red FM. I love Cork's Red FM. That's our five-star giveaway. And we'll start opening the phone lines between now and midday. We'll start in around 20 minutes' time. 104 to 106. Red FM. This is the Neil Frienderville Show. I just love hearing gigs being announced, particularly at Live of the Marquee, as it powers on from strength to strength. And the great Christy Moore announced there in the news at 11 o'clock with Rory. There's another lovely story, actually. Oh, Peter Kay. Is this the way to Amarillo? Uh, and all this kind of stuff. He's announced that he's touring again. That's all very well, you might say. Why would I be talking about that? But what I love about this announcement is Peter Kay hasn't gigged since 2010, right? So the concert, the gig prices for his gigs are the 2010 concert price, which I think is fantastic. So he's using the same price 
uh, as he did 12 years ago for his stand-up. That's according to uh, a story just announced. But the cost of living, he said, at an all-time high. Ticket prices are starting from £35, the same price they were for my previous tour in 2010. Apparently, his website crashed when the tickets were released. Thanks, Kevin, at that price. I just think it's a lovely touch. It's somebody who kind of gets it, which is nice. Others that don't seem to get it, according to you guys, would be Cork City Council. And GP out in Blarney has a swinging attack on all of them. He says it's pretty simple. Cork City Council is a useless institution and their departments, um, uh, the planning department, from the planning department to the workers on the ground. Their ethos in Cork City Council is to do as little as possible for as much money and time off as possible at the massive cost to the taxpayer. They should bring in contractors if you want progress to be made. I believe my sentiments apply to all government bodies across the board in this country, not just Cork City Council. Text 0868104106. Somebody who did tender or did tender for one of the contracts to um, refurb council houses said that they only give it to the cheapest and whoever that is gets it and gets them all as opposed to giving the tender out to many different companies who would then, in turn, get the job done an awful lot faster. Uh, so keep those texts coming. Text 0868104106. Back to the phone lines we go. You know, we talk about... Uh, housing stock in Cork City and County Councils and of course at the same time we're never far from issues within the A&E um, and of course even the staff in A&E want people talking about it and sharing how bad it is for them never mind the people that they're trying to deal with. Jacinta, good morning. Hi, good morning. What was your own experience? Um, I was in terrible pain and I went to my own GP and I suffer with disc problems and I've had an operation on my L5 disc. People that have back problems would know, would know what in the Enough L5. Enough to know it's very painful. <laughs> very painful, very painful. So I had a big operation and my L4 is troubling me lately and um, I've been told that, you know, just to look after it, I'm not to lift anything heavy because it'll leak and, but look, I got, I went to bed fine and I woke up with, oh, crazy pain down my leg and it's like every time I walk, it was like a nerve hitting a bone. You know, that's 10 out of 10 pain then, right? 10 out of 10. And I'm very good with pain. You know, my threshold is very good. But it was just, I was crying. I I just couldn't do my own GP. He brought me straight in and he said, no, you have to go up. He said, you have to have an MRI. It can't be anything worse than nerve pain. Absolutely, Neil. Absolutely. And it's only people that go through it know the pain. And, you know, um, I went straight up. He said, look, they're going to look after you. You There's nothing I can do. There's no more medication that's going to take the pain away. They were like taking Smarties, really. So went up and from the start of my experience to going in there, oh, my God. I never again put my legs in the door of A&E. Never again. Tell me what it was like then. Well, you go in and you take a number and you sit down and you wait for the child nurse for you to be called. Then you you get called maybe an hour, maybe two hours, three hours, it depends. Um, I sat there from half past two that day I got there and I think I was called in at quarter to four, which was very good. And got called in, but the nurse that met me, oh my gosh, horrible she just had no mannerism and she was so abrupt she just said to me um mm, yeah well just letting you know it'll be probably tomorrow before you'll be seen 
Okay, I'm I'm disappointed to hear that. I really am. Yeah. Now, now, Neil, listen, there was only one or two. Um, I mean, rest, they were, my God, absolutely fantastic. You know? Sounds like your one had the empathy baiting out of her, maybe. I don't know. I don't know. Oh, I don't know. I don't know, Neil. But I, like, I, I rang my husband after coming out from her and I just said, I need to go. I want to go home. And he said, you can't. Look, you're after getting this far now. Stay there and look, you'll be looked after. Because my husband wasn't allowed in with me. And I had nobody. And like, okay, and I, I, what, I couldn't. Why, what reason was given that you couldn't have somebody accompany you? Uh, no, it was the security at the door before you go in just said, uh, you know, you have to attend on your own. And I said, well, I said, um, I, I can barely walk. I said, as you can see, is there not anybody can come at me? And he said, no. And he said, your husband can drop um, stuff up at the door and okay. we can get it brought so in. So you're here, answering my you know? question then. That's why there are so many elderly people in there bewildered and in pain, battered and bruised and Absolutely, Ill and, and I saw it for myself, Neil. Yeah. Um, there was an elderly woman in there and my heart went out to her. I actually spoke to her um, and I said, look, if I was able to, you know, walk, I'd go out and I'd find the nearest um, place to get you a cup of hot tea, you know. They were going around offering water every couple of hours, but should that poor lady, all she wanted was a hot cup of tea. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Um, it would make all the she, difference, wouldn't it? It would, and she she didn't kind of, you know, she didn't make a fuss or anything, and okay. she stayed quiet in okay. the corner. And Okay, so an abrupt nurse said to you, just to let you know, it'll be tomorrow before you're seen. Does, does that actually, yeah, does, that, just, does that mean that you won't get anything for the pain until the day after, is it? I wasn't offered anything. I kept going up to the girl at the desk, and she was lovely, the girl in the desk, and I just said to her, I'm in terrible pain, I can't sit or I can't stand. And I said, like, um, is there anything at all um, they can give me? And she said, no, not really until you're seen. But look, I'll, I'll go out and I'll talk to somebody. She came back and she said, I'm sorry. You know, there's nothing I can give you a while, you know. What a hard job she's got. She oh, she, a very hard job. And I saw her. She, did, she was lovely. I mean, to all the old patients, she came out even to talk to them and look after them. And she, she was lovely. I said, if, if everyone was like her, you know, it should be a lovely place, you know. I know, but, but I can't um, help wonder how she feels when she goes home or does she feel completely and utterly helpless in the eyes of a storm? Oh, I'd say so. I'd say so. And to be fair, from the time I was in there till her shift finished at 8 o'clock, she was non-stop. You know, non-stop. Um, and it was like a conveyor belt. They were coming in like and just taking a number and just sitting down. And you had young babies um, with croup cough, coughing and you getting had... Um, getting sick, vomiting in front of you. Then you had other people coming in, their heads split open and blood pouring down. And there was only one bathroom for wheelchair for men and for ladies. And to be honest with you, I was bursting to go to the toilet and when I went in like oh my god I was just horrified like there was nobody from the time I was there just even went in to mop and clean Was up it the in bathroom. an awful state? Desperate state Desperate state So where's cleaning staff? Desperate state I don't know was that with the hygiene issues in there then as well as yeah, everything else? Yeah Cross infection but I was called I was called at 12 o'clock at night um, to from a doctor at 12 o'clock. Now, you should have seen the state I was in at that stage because I rang my husband numerous times to come up and collect me and bring me home because I was crying with the pain. Were you begging you know? him to take you out of the place? Um, yeah, but he said, like, where can we go? Just into, like, you're in terrible pain. You're going to be worse when you go home, you know? Um, so I kind of stuck with it. I really thought they were going to help me, you know? Like, 
waiting and being called. And I didn't mind, you know, like all oh, the old people and babies being looked after, you know, in front of me. Um, but um, eventually I was called, long story short. <laughs> they offered me paracetamol, <laughs> which I laughed. I said, are you joking me? You know? What do you want at home? Salpidine, Salpidol, Nurofen? What, what? Lyrica, which would be very strong. So, yeah, Lyrica. paracetamol is yeah, useless it's, it's to you. Yeah, it's very strong. Um, and, and that doesn't even know, work I'm, for you, does it? Oh, God, no. When it gets to this stage, I know I'm in trouble, you know? Um, so I needed an MRI to tell us what was wrong and my doctor wrote that down in the letter and I was told I would really need to be incontinent to get an MRI. Incontinent, you know? yeah. Yeah. yeah, so that was basically, but the doctor I had, he wasn't Irish and oh my gosh, um, from start to finish, he was a nightmare. He brought me in, he examined me, and he was um, pressing in my leg, which was very tender and sore, and I'm, it's all swollen as well. And um, he kind of uh, wanted to examine um, down below as well, and I just told him no. I said, I'd prefer if there was a nurse in here with you when you're doing that. Yes. And he didn't understand what I was saying, and he wasn't understanding what I was saying. So well, are, you saying there was hand- a, are you saying there was a language barrier? Yes, absolutely, absolutely. And if I couldn't understand it, what? An old person had no hope at all. Good God, that, that's worrying. Yeah. You would had think no that, hope at all. Yeah. I mean, he, so he may well mind. be very much trained, but you need to be able to communicate with the patient, don't you? Absolutely, and you'd think there'd be, you know, a nurse even to explain if his English wasn't that good, you know. Um, but I put my hands on his hands to stop him. Because I said, you're not examining me down there without a nurse being present in the room. And he got it then, did he? And he eventually got it then. And I went back out and I had to sit down again and wait. And uh, yesterday morning, he came around to me and he gave me a note for my GP. And he gave me um, a prescription and he told me, take this to your GP, he said, and they will have to refer you for an MRI. But I said, that's what they did. And he he still couldn't understand. So I was in tears at this stage, in tears, because I was told... Did, go you, go in so there with the, with, did you go in there with the letter from the GP for a scan? Oh, gosh, yeah. And why, yeah. Is he send, why is he sending you out then when you already went in there with that? Because you need to be... Like, I, I was bad with pain and, like, I, I can't walk and, like, I'm going to the apodea today to have my MRI, you know, but I'm, I'm just, I'm just appalled by what I experienced. But long story short, anyway, look, I, when he went away, I opened the letter from my GP to see what they wrote to my GP, which I always do before I hand my letter in. And they had the wrong name and address on the letter from my doctor and the prescription was for an old man that fell out of a wheelchair because I read the note that was from my doctor. I don't know how I got up to the desk on my own because the people that were next to me even see I had trouble to try and stand up and move. And I got up to the desk and I was in terrible pain and I just handed him and I said, you, this isn't for me. And he was, oh. And next thing he opened it and he smirked. And I kind of said, I don't think it's a laughing matter, to be honest with you, I said, you know. 
So that's my story, Neil. And it's an, it's so you got the wrong letter and the wrong prescription. It was for an elderly person who'd fallen from a wheelchair. Yeah. God knows what prescription. Name. God yeah. knows what that man got. Earlier on yeah. this morning, I spoke with the chap in the A&E at the Mercy who was also given the wrong medication for another patient as the same name as him. This is alarming. Yeah. Um, you yeah. are being told yeah. that you'd need to be incontinent as in soil, soil yourself exactly before we give you... That's exactly what I was told. Yes, exactly what I was told. Um, so, you and know, the doctor's it, English was uh, of a level that appalling. you couldn't oh, gosh. understand each other. No, no, no. And when I was getting ready to go home, then there was a nurse after changing shift. And I think she was a head nurse and she came over and she saw I was a bit um, upset and she asked me what was wrong. And I told her, so she went and she had a look at my notes and she said, sit back down there. She said, you're not going nowhere. Um, she said, first of all, she said, even the bloods that they took from you, I don't know what he ordered those bloods for, you know, they should be different bloods that should have been sent for you, you know, with the condition you're in. Oh my God. And, oh my God. Yeah. So everything I wasted really 24 hours, you know, up there in like in my pain <laughs> was so bad. Like, but she was very good. And she said, I'm going to get another doctor to look at you there before we, um, before you go home. I'm going what's to try and do this my guy best do, What's this guy doing though? If the nurses have to second guess the diagnosis of a doctor? Yeah. Uh, well, the nurse, well, that nurse that I saw yesterday morning, I would have preferred to have met her anyway when I went in than anybody else. I mean, she had a lovely manner and she, like she said, um, don't you worry. She said, I'm, I'm going to try and do better for you than leaving you home. With, uh, oh, yeah, I was sent home then on Salfadol and Nurofen and he never checked up on my notes because it, my GP had noted that I can't take Nurofen because I'm on Valsartan 160 milligram for high blood pressure because of my pain so you're not supposed to take norfin is it which, any um, wonder that you say someone's going to die with improper care being given out not necessarily yeah. by those that don't give a damn unfortunately yeah. people are making mistakes because they have too much work on that other doctor yeah. that's that that's for another day that that's quite frightening actually the story of yeah. the doctor you just talked about so you actually you you left no better um no better apart no, from I, being put through a system <clears throat> that didn't work for over 24 hours and now you'll go yeah. private. Yeah, I have to. I have to. No other choice. Yeah. All right. But um, it was just it's, it's like it was crazy up there, you know. Um, I don't know. Like they're saying, blame the government, but from what I saw up there, they some of them wanted to work, some of them didn't. Yeah, but they you saw the through. best. You saw the best of both sides. You saw oh, the best and you gosh, saw the I worst. Yeah. Oh gosh, I yeah. did. Yeah. Oh gosh, I did. You saw and, the wonderful uh, girl behind reception doing everything she can. You saw the absolutely. nurse who intervened on your behalf and said, your man is getting it all wrong and putting it right. But for all mm -hmm. those that it doesn't get put right for, that's the worry. This is the worry. And I would worry if um, my elderly mom or dad had to go in there with nobody going in with them because okay. Okay. they wouldn't okay. have a chance. All right, yeah. Jacinta, look after yourself. Right, thanks, thanks for that. As a retired thanks. member of the nursing staff at CUH, I have seen the full evolution and decimation of the nursing profession over the last 35 years. Nurses were treated abominably by nurse management and, as a result, we now have a nurse force comprising mainly of Indian and Filipino nurses. And guess what? They are now leaving Ireland to travel to Australia as well. Also, middle nurse management is too heavy. Unfortunately now, we don't have enough vital nurses on the front line. 
regards, says C. Would you just clarify me exactly for me, C? What is the role and the function of middle nurse management? We seem to say that we're top heavy with middle nurse management. Are they nurses in middle management that actually aren't on the front line, front line at all now dealing with patients? I just love a paragraph on that, if you don't mind. People are stuck in A&E as there are no beds. A lot of the beds are taken up by older people who have nowhere to go as they need specialist care. What I find incredible is Michal Martin officially opened Heather House, a nursing home in the north side with 60 beds in June, and it's still sitting there empty. Fully equipped with no patients. This healthcare system is a complete joke. I'd love some more information actually from people with regards to an empty nursing home in the north side with 60 empty beds, please. Text 0868104106. And just ahead of the break, one of the biggest problems in our A&E is that a high proportion of people that attend shouldn't be there in the first place. The public should be educated time and time again on what an emergency actually is. The things I've overheard while in there. I hurt my finger the other day and I have a bruise. Another one. I have a sore throat for three days. My doctor is on holidays. Woman came in by ambulance because her legs were restless and she couldn't sleep. All of this is true. People like this are a living disgrace and are packing up our A&Es. Can't come on the air because I'm at work. Keep those texts coming. Text 0868104106. The Neil Prenderville Show on Courts Red FM. Two-time gold winner at the Emerald Radio Awards 2022. Wake up to Red Breakfast with Kira, Laura and Rob Heffernan. Laura's going to play for Kira, and Darren is going to play with the other Kira. With the other Kira. Here we go. We're approaching the boxes. First out. First right. out. Okay. Three, two, one, go. Oh, yo, you some set of choppers on Omani. Oh, get, get the head under, Kira. You're only half-heartedly doing it. No, you bit the stem. No, Laura has to be the apple. Oh, Raven's cheated. I got a bit. Yeah. Yes. Laura won. I Laura won. Kira, you have the tickets. Red Breakfast with Rob, Kira, and Laura. Weekdays from 6 a.m. With My Expressway. Travel with Expressway from Cork to major towns and cities. Take it easy and visit expressway.ie today. This program organically moves in different directions. That's what I love about it the communication of people who are listening. So do get in touch. Share your own stories. Text 0868104106. If you have a story to tell, you can always email neil at redfm.ie. And already an update from Pat. He says Heather House is not now in use. Uh, My father is in the home there since August this year. Well, thank God for that because we want something to be going right based on the stories this morning. Very little would appear to be. And again, um, I am not in any way, shape or form critical uh, of the staff. I have have an issue with the doctor's story where the English is bad and there was no nurse present and there was rather invasive examinations needed according to the doctor and um, and uh, she wasn't wasn't happy with him doing it on her own you, you also need to be able to communicate the very important part of the job being able to communicate um, properly in the proper language for an elderly person that would be very very distressing I'm sure not to mention the rest of us so I will come back to this I do promise and also on dereliction that really took off as well this morning but in other news it's Monday and after the uh, midterm many people are back to the daily grind so in an effort to cheer you up every Monday morning we have one way of beating the Monday munchies and that is with offbeat donuts so sometime between now and midday, I will give away a box of circled obsessions. 
which is a box of at least a dozen. I think it's more likely to be 15 donuts or so. And they will be delivered by Red Patroller, courtesy of ourselves, at Offbeat Donuts on French Church Street this coming lunchtime. So stand by for that. If you have a particular story to share why you think you deserve this box of donuts to share, either at home or the workplace, you can text 0868104106. But in other news... Neil's five-star giveaway. With Sound Store, celebrating the opening of their new electrical superstore at Market Green Retail Park, Middleton. The time has come for our first opportunity for you to have a guess at our five stars. These are five international stars. They can be from anywhere on the planet, but they're all known. We've stitched them all together, and when you put all of the voices back-to-back, this is what you get. I love Corks. Right. FM. I love Cork's Red FM. We've done it before. We're doing it again. This time around in association with Soundstore. They just opened their new electrical superstore at Market Green Retail Park in Middleton. And the phone lines are open now. We'll take a half a dozen now and maybe a half a dozen again before quitting time. If you can identify those celebrity voices, you will win 10,000 euro to spend at Soundstore Market Green Retail Park in Middleton. And I've been in there. I went there last week. We filmed some videos and it's incredible. They've got everything and anything for the home. And a lot of things for the home now are like pieces of furniture, really. They're appliances, I know, but they actually are gorgeous. And I'm not just talking about, say, for instance, your built-in kitchens. I'm talking about the televisions, the laptops, the tablets. I'm talking about, um, you know, the Robovacs, the Dysons, the Sharks, the coffee-making machines, the Fire Effect fires, all there and you can spend 10 grand on whatever you want inside in Sound Store Market Green Retail Park in Middleton. So here it is again. I love Corks. Right. FM. Pick up the phone 0818 104 106. Five voices. Um, did I mention that as soon as each voice is correctly guessed, whoever guesses the correct voice for the first time wins a 100 euro voucher. If you get all five, we give you 10 grand. But for each new voice identified, a 100 euro voucher. All right, so get uh, dialing on that 0818 104 106 and we'll get the first callers on the air in a few minutes' time. Let me just go back to phone lines though and I will be back to A&E and I will be back to the issues regarding housing stock and the behaviour of the performance of Cork City and County Council over the coming days of that, you can be sure. Maybe even again between now and midday. But Morgan, good morning. Morning, Neil. This has really taken off as well. It is now being said that if you live and you're pregnant and you want to give birth at home, you got to be within 30 kilometres of the CUMH. You, you had a birth at home. I did, yeah, at the end of September. Firstly, how did it go? It went really well, yeah. So oh. I was delighted that it got to go ahead um, because the HSC does have a lot of Say things in place that if um, it's not on their checklist, you know, you have to go into the hospital. So I was grateful for that. Okay, good for you. But can you answer this question? I'm getting texts from people saying that home birthing is putting an undue pressure on the health service when things go wrong. Yeah, I don't know. I wouldn't think so. I Obviously, you go through a lot um, with your midwife. So I actually was very early, nearly as soon as I found out I was pregnant, I rang the service um, so I was on her waiting list straight away and you meet her then at three months. So they go through everything with you in detail and you have a big checklist to make sure that you're healthy. But is there never the unknown in actual labour though that you can't anticipate everything I'm saying? Of course there is, but there also is in the hospital. You know, 
it's not like people don't like bad things don't happen when people are in the hospital like the horrible situation with the mother and the baby a few years ago was that just before lockdown you know and she was in the hospital where if she was at home yeah. and she wasn't in a private room that might not have been the oh I know she was in a private room and fell over yeah. the baby and died and so did the baby I know I know, yeah. I know. So things happen everywhere. It's not just home birth. Why did you say to the gang that you had a horrible experience for your firstborn in the hospital? How much of that can you share? Um, yeah, so basically uh, my water's broke at home. I went in, it was late in the evening and my labour started, but I didn't know I was in labour. It was all back pain. So uh, you're in a room with a bunch of people who are asleep and... You know, you're not in a familiar setting, so you're getting all the this natural adrenaline rush, which actually causes the contractions to be worse. Um, and I was being conscious of everybody being asleep. Um, so it, it wasn't nice. And then I woke up in the morning, they, they gave me the Panadol, the Pecadine, woke up from that, and I was like, whoa, what is this? Um, so eventually they believed me, because uh, I think they're used to people kind of, thinking it's a lot worse like early on so they were like oh we better get you down to the labour board um, so my but I mean did, how can people jump the gun I mean you can tell from dilation and all sorts of things can't you yeah but they wouldn't check me because my water's broke so okay. they, they try to stay away from you so eventually they did um, and they were like okay we'll get you down there quick so then my partner nearly missed the birth as well over that because it all happened so fast Um and then because I didn't have the, the same support, like if he was there, he might have spoke up for me as where I was kind of like, after being quiet all night, I just went kind of a bit ballistic when I got into the labour board. Totally forgot about my labour plan. Um, the midwives are so busy, they weren't looking at my labour plan. So there was, say, like no hypnobirthing in the background or aromatherapy or anything like that or dim lighting. All these things that I had hoped would be in the session. Would you get all of that, though, in the CUMH? Yeah, yeah. Aromatherapy, dim lighting, the kind of mood music, stuff like that. Yeah, they would put your hypnobirthing on in the background and things like that. Now, I don't know. They might be able to turn some of the lights down, but see, like, this is just part of the hospital session. So it it wasn't enjoyable. It was traumatic. The whole thing was a bit of a race. Yeah, exactly. And how's it going to be different at home? Yeah, so everything that I didn't like about the hospital... I knew if I had had it at home, it would have been different. So when I started going into labour here, my midwife called straight away. I was, I told her actually I was going back to sleep after my water's broken. She was like, no more, can I have to come check you? And I was like, all right. Um, so she came, she was like, look, everything's fine. Get on to me when the contractions are closer together. At that stage, she would have rang the ambulance as well. So she let them know, look, Morgan's going into labour. This is her location. Um, so she left then and we had all the tea lights set up. I had on all my lavender wax melts and we put on like a nice comedy. So it was a lovely little comedy. Yeah, they say put on a comedy. So you're meant to replicate like a romantic night, basically. So you're getting all the natural and um, good feeling hormones and all these help your contractions. Okay. To <laughs> I love it. No, so this yep. is like a date night without the wine. Exactly. So he was asleep for the date night and I was relaxing in between the contractions all night long. And they uh, th- this is the stupid side of me, but what was the comedy you were watching? What was it? It was the Kevin Hart. It was actually something about his wife had actually passed away in hospital um, after giving birth. 
but it was all about a funny experience of a dad bringing up a baby on his own. Okay, all right. So yeah. that was yeah. funny, at least, was it? I mean, the uh, yeah, birth, birth of his wife clearly wasn't. Yes, yes. Yeah. Okay. Um, so, yeah, I was relaxing in between the contractions and they weren't uh, painful at all, as were at that same stage. On my first pregnancy, I was in a lot of pain all night long and I actually couldn't sleep over it. Um, so I called my midwife then in the morning. She came over. My sister is also training to be a midwife and she came over. And <laughs> why, yeah, was your partner, why was your partner asleep for all of this? Oh, he was asleep. Yeah, I let him have a little nap, sure. <laughs> he was busy making tea. You, have a, you have a little sleep there. I'll get on with the work. <laughs> Yeah, exactly, exactly. Well, they do that. It's, you're kind of not meant to be bombarded. So actually, when she came, um, my partner, my sister and the midwife were all in the kitchen chatting um, and he was making tea and toast and I was left to kind of just relax and get on with it until I said, OK, guys, like it's getting a little bit... I have to say, I, that all sounds really nice to me. It really does. I, I, I mean, the back of my head, I have what if, what if, but you're describing a beautiful scene there. Yeah, it was. It was nice. Obviously, look, it gets intense then at some stage. I had all the natural bits like the birthing ball and the tense machine. But it, it goes so much faster, Neil, when you don't have the epidural. And obviously, it was my second child as well. So um, the, the pain that I felt, I say the intensity that I felt here, was no more than what I felt in the hospital. And I ended up with an epidural. So I didn't get to feel the end game of the pushing and everything like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and yeah. I was really calm in between my contractions, being in my own setting, having um, the hypnobirthing on in the background. So there is, a, there is a drawback in the sense if you are pregnant and wish to have a baby, but you do want epidural and no huge amounts of pain, home birthing is yeah. not for you. No, no, no. Yeah. And like I wanted to, to do it this way. Like yeah. I knew what the consistency felt like. I'd done it before, but I wanted to give the natural side a go. And I really did like it. And also, my partner is now converted because he wasn't too happy about the situation. Like, he didn't really say too much, but I think he, he was obviously fearful like yourself. He'd be like it. me. He would, yeah. For the yeah, best, in yeah. the best will in the world, I'm sure, you know. Yeah. Um, but, then, but baby comes then. Boy or girl? Girl, Alexa. Alexa comes and you say, welcome to your home. You're at home. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, this is your home. Straight away, that was the thing. <laughs> Lovely story. Lovely story. Thanks, Morgan. Lovely story. Oh, well God. told. Thank you for that. Text 0868104106. Pick up the phone on 0818104106. But for the very first time, lads, for the very first time. Neil's five star giveaway. With Sound Store, celebrating the opening of their new electrical superstore at Market Green Retail Park, Middleton. All right then, so what have we got for you? Well, for the very first time, uh, we have Yvonne. Good morning to you. Morning, Neil. You hear me all right? Yeah. You have the honour of being the first guest, so hang in there. Here we go. All right. Neil's five-star giveaway. With Sound Store, celebrating the opening of their new electrical superstore at Market Green Retail Park, Middleton. So the honour is yours. Here are the five voices. I need them all for ten grand. Five star giveaway with Sound Store for everything electrical. What do you think? Um, Amelda May, Lyle Keane, George Ezra, Britney Spears, and Brian Kennedy. I have to tell you, you got all five of them wrong. 
Oh, did I? <laughs> but you were okay. the very first, so don't feel bad about that. It could be a long road there yet, but thanks all the same. Take care, Yvonne. Okay. Um, okay, Margaret's on you. the Cork Bye. Tip Board. And Margaret, good morning. Morning, Neil. Lovely Mar- to talk to you. And you too. Ten grand's worth of kit. Okay, here's from my Sun- kit. Oh, you get an opportunity to hear him again. Hang on. Oh, yeah. Neil's five-star giveaway. With Sound Store for everything electrical. I love Corks. Right. FM. What do you think? Okay, I go Michael Sheen, Lady Gaga, Graham Norton, Adele, and da 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 Colin Farrell. <laughs> Colin Farrell. <laughs> to each and every one of them, I say no. Nay. Nay. But feel free to call as often as you want. Good luck to you, Margaret, on the Cork Tip border. Eilish is in Carrigaline. Good morning. Hi, how are you? All right. Did you have any of those guesses? No, I don't think so. Okay, have a listen. I love Cork. Right. FM. 10,000 euro to be spent in Soundstorm Market Green Retail Park in Middleton. What do you think? I'm saying Ed Sheeran, Garrett Brooks, Mary Lou MacDonald, Rita Ora and Tommy Tiernan. No, 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 no. <laughs> oh, for God's sake. <laughs> okay, thank we, you. We're going to have a long wait. Thanks for that, Margaret. Thanks, that. Margaret. Thanks, Alish. Thanks, Simon. We'll take five more, lads, if you can squeeze them in. Four or five more. Pick up the phone. 0818 104 106. Ten grand. Meals five-star giveaway. With Sound Store for everything electrical. The Neil Prendeville Show on Cork's Red FM. Our phone lines remain open after midday. 0818-104-106. Meanwhile, my father-in-law, age 70, went in on Wednesday, the 26th of October, with a bad infection in his lung. He was referred there by his doctor. It wasn't a willy-nilly arrival. He did get IV antibiotics. He was in a chair... I went in on the Wednesday. He was in the same chair till Saturday, the 29th. He finally got a bed on the 29th and was left out on the 1st of November. There were some ministers visiting the A&E and it was cleared out, especially for the visiting on either the Thursday or the Friday. Can't come on air as my father-in-law is a private man, but this was his experience. Um, how, how upsetting must um, frontline staff feel? Uh, if there is a minister uh, arriving or politicians arriving or suits arriving and everything gets cleared out because all they're doing really, those with the suits and the clipboard, is they're manipulating the situation. You know, they're whitewashing it. They they really should show it warts and all. For the staff, that must be very demoralising. Um, your dad was on a chair from Saturday, uh, the 29th, until the 1st of November. Um, and then ministers come along and the whole place gets cleared out just to make it look better than it actually is. They're faking it. Uh, and that's very unfair on patients, and it's equally, probably even more unfair on staff who literally have to deal with the real situation day in, day out, except when a minister or a suit arrives. I find that absolutely traumatic even to hear it. But it's been happening for a long, long time. We hear that. They say the politicians only know the smell of one thing in a hospital, and that is clean, open spaces, uh, empty corridors, everyone in a bed and the smell of sanitization and disinfectant. Uh, meanwhile, Katie, good morning. Morning, Neil. Um, is this another type of home birth where there were issues, was it? Um, no, so I I was booked for um, a home birth um, in April of this year and started off in labour at home and had my midwife coming to me, uh, Mary Cronin, she's amazing, um, coming out to me at home and supporting me. Um, and then my water's broken. Um, under the HSE scheme, if your 
waters are broken for more than 18 hours, you need to transfer into the hospital for antibiotics. Um, so that was what happened for me. What's the issue there? Um, is it stress on the baby, is it? It's just a risk of infection because if you can imagine the bag of waters around the baby and protecting them from infection and then... Is that that's amniotic kind of fluid, I think, isn't it? Yeah, the amniotic sac. So if that's gone, there's nothing between the baby and the outside world. So have so. we an emergency now we have? No, not necessarily, no. I was all very calm. Uh, my midwife contacted CUMH and I transferred in in my own car with my partner and uh, my midwife accompanied me. It was oh, all very calm. no ambulance or anything, all right. No okay. ambulance required, no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so I arrived in, got my antibiotics and just played the waiting game then for my baby to arrive. But um, my midwife accompanied me in. She um, came in for the birth. She was with us for the birth, supporting us, um, which was great. Um, and then what a lot of people don't really know about the service is that regardless of where you give birth, whether it's at home or at hospital, you still have your midwife that comes to care for you at home for two weeks after the birth. Okay, but you, unfortunately you were denied the home birth. How, how did you feel about that? Well, I suppose when I signed up, I always knew that was a possibility. You know, when, as soon as you sign up to the service, which I did very early, like your previous caller, I, was, I think as soon as I found out I was pregnant, I knew that that was what I was looking for. Yes. Um, yes. And when you're signing up, you know, you have your, your kind of booking in with the midwife and they go through all your own history and things like that. Yeah, and we've then, heard a lot of that. How do you feel about the 30 kilometre limit? I think that there's no, like there, well, I don't, it's not, but I think it's, it's been shown there's no, there's, there's um, studies and surveys been done to say that the distance from hospitals has no effect on outcomes from mother and baby. Well, but your but your your case history is evidence of the opposite. Surely, if you were three hours from the CUMH, and my baby didn't arrive for nearly eighteen hours after I arrived in the hospital, so <laughs> okay. it wasn't really a, a, a blue lighting incident there for me to a get in. Blue hospital, light incident, they call it. The isn't fact it? Yeah. is yeah. that my midwife knew me so acutely that you know. She was monitoring me. At, like I actually went in a little bit before the eighteen hours because I knew that I wasn't going to be having a baby at home at that. Like, by the time know, yeah. and, came, and, so. and I suppose at the back of all of this are women who want to give birth, stay out of hospitals, so as not to screw up the system even more than it already is to do their own thing with the backup that they needed. Exactly. I mean, you, you can only just listen to your other callers there that are talking about their incidents in A and E's and things. And I know that's different, but you know. Why are we forcing people who neither want nor need to be in hospital to be in a hospital, putting more pressure? And they want to go through a natural process at home. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And I suppose, like, you just have to look at the fact that we're talking a lot about informed consent and that people, you know, should receive all the information and then decide what's right for them in any aspect of their healthcare. And, you know, women are perfectly capable of, of doing their research and, you know, like reading about all the risks and listening to their midwives and their health professionals and then deciding, you know, which risk they think is individually to them more severe. You know, okay. so for a lot of people, no, they I might know. want to stay at home. A lot of people feel safer in hospital. It's whatever is safer. Feel safer for the woman. Good for you. Feel free to hold on if you wish. Uh, I don't think Agatha necessarily disagrees with you, but has an issue with people who don't go to hospital. I think, Agatha, good morning. Hello, how are you? Why Why do you think that uh, it's uh, nonsense? Well, do you know what? To be honest with you, the only thing striking me in every single 
person saying, you know, claiming bringing up the the feelings and the history of the the, the childbirth, right? Uh, there's the word want. What I want. What I want. I, I'm just like how. Not necessarily. It could be what's best for me. What's best for baby. You you say it's want. I want. I want. Orange. I want. That's all I hear, to be honest with you, in all those conversations, right? But the thing is, uh, don't you think that like medical sciences and all those advancements have been made for a purpose to actually help out? Even the low risk, low, 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 like me. I was really low risk. No one had any bother with me with my second pregnancy uh, at the childbirth, to be honest with you. 30 minute rule, right? 30 kilometers, is it? Yes. 30 kilometers, right? The thing is, it was on Friday the 13th, I was giving birth, and should I be able to reach the hospital from East Cork where I live? It would have taken me at least an hour and a half, right? Uh, anyway. Uh, what uh, Are you saying that a home birth would have led to a tragedy? I, I wasn't even considering that, to be honest with you, to start off, even though I was such a low risk, apparently, as I was told, right? But the thing is, after I delivered my lovely speedy baby, 30 minutes gone, bam, right? Uh, it is a, th- pardon me, it is a 30 yes. minute rule, yeah. yeah. Yes, yeah. yes, I wouldn't have made it, I wouldn't be talking to you, I'd say, uh, due to, you know, some complications afterwards, which no one actually even apprehended that they might, might happen, right? Had the doctors not done the procedure on the spot. In what, the, was it cesarean uh, or was it some other no, surgical no, intervention? after, after, out of surgical intervention with Scottish, I was just hemorrhaging, right? Right. I wouldn't be here. Okay, good. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it would have taken me way longer to be there. Even 30 minutes? No, I wouldn't be there. So, to be honest with you, with all the advancement, isn't it safe to just be in a hospital where there are prof- professionals who can take care of you or your baby in case need arise, right? Right. I, I, I can't I can't answer that. I mean I, I, I would have apprehensions about things going wrong, for sure I do, yeah. but we need to listen to women who feel that, you know, they're they're perfectly capable of doing this on their own. They have been checked, you know. I mean you you fly and in the I face of that Lord, because you would have yes. died if it had been a home birth, you say. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And I, I I hope to God that they get the support they need and everything goes well with every single one of them. And wish them all well. But you, at the same time, you call them self-centered. Well, you know, some of those earthly bound laundry washing and chestnuts. Are very rich, <laughs> what did there, you call you know? them? Yeah. What? <laughs> you know, some are just like so, oh my God, I, have, I don't even have the words to say it. Uh, alternative those, okay. lifestyles, like you're saying. You call them earthbound yeah, totally washing their laundry in chestnuts. Well, yeah, some are, some are. I wouldn't even go to the doctor. Even though you, let's say, regular human being, sees there's something wrong with themselves or the, the child, right? They would not even go to doctor. That, those are just extremes, right? Sorry, but it's just. Casey, you're not that. you're not uh, an earthbound woman who washes your laundry in chestnuts. No, that no, nonsense. absolutely not. No. I think that is a, a stereotype that goes with home birth, unfortunately. But there's you that know, home births are for people of an alternative lifestyle. professional people that ha- choose to have home birth. And the fact of the matter is that the research has been done, you know, terrible things happen in hospital, terrible things happen at home, terrible things happen in childbirth. That is a fact of life. And there's the evidence has shown that for low risk women, that home birth can be actually... But would have killed Agatha though, she said she was perfectly healthy, rocking and rolling. There's always this one person, right? 
In my course there now. is, and there's always yeah. the one person in the hospital as well where things will go wrong and it's a tragedy. Of course, But if you were to live your life like that, you'd never get behind the wheel of a car. The most dangerous thing we do every day mm. is get behind the wheel of a car. And what if I drive out my road and I get hit by an articulated lorry? You could say that too. But totally if you respect your life like that, you'd never take a risk, you know? Okay, okay. Thank respect you Respect your opinion. Of course, everyone's entitled to theirs, but I would not play with my or my child's health and Joe. Okay, we'll pick up on this and lots more tomorrow. Thank you to Agatha. Thank you to Katie. Text 0868104106. You can always email neil at redfm.ie. But this is the child of me. I want to play this again. I want to play it again. I love Cork. Red FM. 10,000 euro, 10 grand if you can identify those five stars. It's Neil's five star giveaway. Pick up the phone 0818104106. It'll get easier as people start guessing the voices, but you got to get all five to win the 10 grand that you can then spend and the brand new Sound Store celebrating the opening of their new retail superstore at Market Green Retail Park in Middleton. 0818-104-106. Let's go for it. Talk to Neil Prenderville now. 0818-104-106. Cork's Red FM. Hi, you spot on, Paddy. He put it much better than me. He said, politicians and VIPs believe the world smells of fresh paint. Full stop. Well said, my man. Neil's five-star giveaway. With Sound Store celebrating the opening of their new electrical Superstore at Market Green Retail Park, Middleton. 10,000 euro worth of electricals. It can be anything you want for the home. It's a complete makeover. 10,000 euro will be yours to spend. Now, let's take a deep breath and just listen, right? Let's get this right down so you can really hear it. Have a listen. I love Corks. Right. FM. I love Cork's Red FN. One final one. Vivian, good morning. They, they're telling me that you have two of them. Is that right? 